This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 102, and I'm here joined by five guests as we're going to be talking about our annual mid-year awards. Uh, we did this last year too, and people seemed to enjoy it, so we brought it back here at the exact halfway point of 2019. Uh, we're going to talk about who we would have as the winners for uh, the various different Omakase award categories if the year had ended right now. So, Gerard, uh, you're our first guest here. Everybody here is a returning guest. So, welcome back, Gerard. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Um, I'm here to bring some uh, All Japan takes and actually some Impact takes, too. Impact. Wow. They're still around? Yeah? Yep. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for coming on, Gerard. Lawson, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, I was told that we can only have good opinions on this episode, so... I'm going to do my best. Only good opinions, that's true. Uh, and what's up, Paul? Good to hear from you again. Back. Yeah, hello. Just yeah, got back finally back in, a few weeks ago. Back in beautiful Ireland now, and I make my long-awaited Omakase return after taking one episode off, I think. Yes. Last, I think, one we did one with... I mean, Taylor took zero episodes off, so it's fine. But welcome back, Paul. Uh, hello, Skylar. It's been a while for you, actually. Yes, I've turned down repeated uh, <laughs> repeated requests to come on the show because, I don't know, I just got sort of sick sick of wrestling for a little bit. And then I watched like 600 matches in the past month and a half. So I'm ready. I'm back in. All right. Welcome back, Skylar. And finally, Thomas. Hello. Hey, I'm back. The last two episodes I did were like I think all Japan heavy, so it's good to be on an episode that will actually do numbers. I uh, know all Japan does okay. Okay, it's, it's, it's DDT that does fucking terrible, but I do. Okay. I keep doing them anyway because I love DDT. So what are you gonna do? But no, um, all Japan, all Japan's probably like the number two performing Japanese promotion. I don't know, people like hearing about it. So, uh, but thanks for coming back on, Thomas. And as mentioned, this is the Omakase Year End Awards. So I'm not going to waste any time here. we got a lot of categories to get through. Uh, we're going to start with a bunch of B... Oh, I said year-end awards. Half-year awards, of course. It's fucking June 30th. 
But yes, so we're going to start with all the B categories, which means uh, one pick per category. Um, most of these will be worst, so we'll basically be getting all the negative stuff out of the way. And then once we get through all the B categories, it'll be A categories where you're picking a first, second, and third place. So let's start off with worst weekly TV show, a category I don't suspect will take a lot of time because I'm sure we'll have a lot of agreement here. Gerard, what is the worst weekly TV show as of June 30th, uh, 2019? In what I hope is a unanimous decision on this podcast, uh, WWE Raw. Yes, I don't think that's going to be... There's there's really not much else in the running, but I don't think. But yes. Uh, Lawson, give me your pick for worst weekly TV show. Yeah, no stick here, Raw. Absolutely. Why is Raw so bad, Lawson? Give me a... It's un... They they make more poor booking decisions than I could keep track of if I tried. And three hours, everything about it's bad. Even the people who are over aren't over. It just everything about it is unwatchable. Does anybody here actually watch it? <laughs> like, do you turn it on at all, Lawson? I I I parachute in like they just did AJ Styles and Ricochet. So I'll parachute in for like a match here and there, and then if there's I'll skip around the show a little, and it's just uh, it's it's still awful though. I just can't. And then Baron Corbin shows up, so I just stop. I feel like as a wrestling, uh, I don't know, podcast host. I feel like it's my duty to turn it on every once in a while, so I do put it on, you know, every other month or so, and I rarely get through more than an hour because it's just very unwatchable. It's a Gerard, do you ever watch? Do you ever watch the Monday Night Raw, Gerard? I've maybe watched four or five episodes this year. The last episode I watched was the one right after Double or Nothing because I had a morbid curiosity uh, to see what they would do. And that was I think I turned that one on too, right? That was the one with Dolph Ziggler and Kofi had like the 40-minute brawl to open the show and there was like yes. one match. And... and then that awful like Sami Zayn worked shoot interview. <laughs> I just remember there was one match in the first like hour and 10 minutes. It was Shane McMahon against a random Samoan. Yeah, so. and uh, it was definitely like the worst Raw of the year. I like listened to some other podcast reviews, and I think that was like the consensus is they managed to pull off the worst Raw of the year right after their competition like debuts. Yeah. So, Paul, what is the worst weekly television show? I don't know what you're all talking about. Seth Rollins just told me that WWE is the best it's ever been, so <laughs> I really don't know what all of the slander is about. But no, seriously, it's raw, and it's really a no contest. Yeah. Do you ever watch it? Um, not really, if I'm being honest. I see <laughs> clips here and there, and for me, it's also the additional, like, why would I stay up until 3 in the morning to watch a show that's terrible? There's oh, yeah. no incentive for me oh, to do yeah. it. Skylar, you're, if anyone's going to be the wild card here, it's going to be you. So what's your worst weekly television program? I will say I at least had other contenders because I don't watch that much Raw. So for me, it's like hard to put it at number one. Whereas I watched like a decent amount of NXT UK and that really sucked, especially to like start the year. And then I've also seen some ROH TV, which also sucks really bad. Yeah, the ROH TV is the biggest uh, other contender. If I watched it more, I think I would have it high up because apparently like, it doesn't even make sense from a timeline standpoint now. Yeah, if ROH TV was like three hours long, it would be number one. But Raw is three hours long and it sucks just as bad. So that's number one. Yeah. Do you actually watch it, Skyler? I think I've seen like maybe two episodes this year. We don't have... I mean, it's really, really hard now just to find 
like people who watch it to tell you about how good or bad it is every week. That's why, like, I do have uh, one of my, you know, obviously on this episode a bunch. Quinlan still watches it every week, and I st- just check in with him to be like, "Is it any good?" He's like, "No." So, <laughs> yeah. well, I was watching sounds like a normal life. Week. I was watching it every week, but I had to stop not because the booking necessarily, although that started to suck, but it's just like the commercials are like worse than raw commercials in breaking up, especially when they have the longer matches. Yeah, well, now that now there's no more wrestling and commercial breaks, so it's okay. Uh, Thomas, what do you? What's the worst TV show? Uh, I'm proud to say that I have not watched Raw at all this year, but I will trust y'all's judgment and say that Raw is the worst weekly television show. Do you watch any weekly TV, Thomas? Because this is the problem I'm having with like picking best weekly TV. Uh, I do not watch any, not any consistently, but I do like uh, parachute in based on reviews and stuff. Uh, yeah. The Joe Lanza Patreon show, of course. <laughs> yeah, he does review a lot of weekly TV on there. Yeah. So every once in a while, I'll listen to that and see if he, you know, has anything to say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I saw something on ROH TV, not on ROH TV, but about ROH TV, about how they had uh, one of those situations where they had guys with belts airing after they lost the belt. It was like that whole yeah. situation. Yeah. So that's pretty bad, too. But yeah, I'll go with Raw. Yeah, I mean, Ring of RTV this year has turned into some fucking WCW 92 shit, which is one reason why it should be in the running, probably. But Raw is really awful, so I think it's a clear winner. But yes, my vote is also Monday Night Raw. We can move on then to Worst Major Show, which I think could be more of an open category in that, I don't know, people seem to only want to vote for shows they've seen at least part of, so we'll see what people have watched this year and what people decide to vote for. So Gerard, what is your Worst Major Show of the half year of 2019? Oh, well, I think this is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, WWE Super Showdown from Jetta Redacted. <laughs> See, I agree, but that will depend on if you've seen the fucking show, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't watch it. But I, I, yeah. I've seen most of it, including the Undertaker and Goldberg match. And yeah, I, it's it was bad. And like uh, Orton and Triple H. So I, I didn't see everything, although I also saw what was allegedly the best match on the show, which was um, Andrade versus Balor, which was like, I don't know, like three three and a quarter stars. So I feel pretty confident in calling it the worst show of the year. Yeah. Uh, Lawson, give me your worst major show of 2019 so far. So I hadn't watched WWE Super Showdown until I heard how bad it was. So then I went back and ended up watching it. And it for (laughs) sure is the worst major show of the year so far. Okay. Uh, Paul, what do you think for worst major show so far? First of all, I would like to extend my thanks to Bar Two Count Nine Nine. Yes, because <laughs> I'm I'm voting for this too, yes. and I would not have watched the show if we had not gone to that fucking bar in Osaka when they were playing it. But yes, I saw. I didn't see the entire thing, and I I don't think I assume you haven't either. No, oh god, no. Yeah, but, but what but, I've seen alone, I think that is alone. It makes me say like that's the worst show I've seen this year so far. So. And I doubt anything will beat it this year. So thank you very much, uh, Count 2.99, for allowing <laughs> me to vote for this show. Skylar, what do you have as worst major show? Uh, so this, I haven't seen Super Showdown. In fact, I've only seen like two WWE pay-per-views this year. So I don't know. I think I had to go outside of the box because it's like I couldn't really vote for like a house show. It distinctly says major shows. And I haven't seen like most of the bad 
New Japan Gurkens this year. So, I mean, so I I might have to explain it, but I feel like the Madison Square Garden show. Ha- I have a real bone to pick. Wow, a hot it. take here. Oh. Well, so th- this is definitely going to come down to when I look at like what I rated stuff in ring and what like really pissed me off. The only match that I had above four stars is the Bushi Naito match, which I had four and a quarter. And but I think it's like the worst of their series. Like it's still a great match, but I think it's by far the worst of like the recent like five matches or so that they've had. So if that is your best match, and then obviously the Matt Taven like thirty minute ex- explosion is was not excellent, uh, and then. Jay White's continued like having terrible main events. His streak continues. I hated like the junior three way. I hated the tag dial match. I hated Jeff Cobb, Will Ospreay, the women's dial match, the allure in zone cast, Kenny King winning the honor rumble and at tape, all of the new Japan themes being muted. So you can't even enjoy the pops for the rumble. Like it is, it was, I think this is also like, I wasn't there live and a lot of people who were there live said that, Different things came off better. The crowd noise came off better. You know, the main event was more heated. You had bigger pops, but I can't stress enough that like watching on tape, it just did not, it came off as like a juiced up ROH show or like a war of the world show almost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause live it was pretty, yeah. it wasn't, I mean, look, the live, I think the ring of honor half was pretty, was still pretty terrible, but the new Japan half saved it for me. And mostly the mostly Naito Ibushi, which I had like a half star higher than you. Um, so any any show with a match that good, I can't call worst uh, show of the year. But like, I think I like I like the Junior Three Way a lot more than you did. I liked Osprey Cobb more than you did. But I even like the tag title thing more than you did. So those there was enough good stuff for me. But yeah, the Ring of Honor stuff was like the ladder match was brutal. The yeah, fight was brutal. Yeah, I'm the trying to take into account like how major of a show it is because obviously I've probably seen like 20 shows this year that were worse than this. But it's especially from ROH's perspective, this being like by far the biggest show they have ever had and ever will have now. Yeah. Uh, you know, for them to put out like just nothing worth watching from their end and also just like run disastrous angle over and over again. Like, it felt truly, like, sub-WWE. It felt like truly TNA in terms of ROH's perspective. So I'm almost penalizing more that aspect than me just not liking a bunch of the matches, which is just going to happen, you know? There's there's no argument from a business standpoint that they, you know, they killed the company with that show. I mean, mean, the business has been, like, fucking terrible since that show. So, I mean, look, to me, the biggest... The biggest thing that stands out is they're they're coming back to New York at Hammerstein next month, you know, the same market where they just they theoretically sold out Madison Square Garden. I mean, you know, I, I say theoretically because it was as much New Japan and the elite and everything. But they've sold like a hundred tickets or something at Hammerstein. So, you know, I mean I don't think there's anything more damning that you can say about that show and specifically the Ring of Honor half of it and the booking than that, that like you know, the people who went to that show just have no interest in seeing Ring of Honor again. So, you know, what are you going to do? I guess it was pretty, pretty terrible show as far as Ring of Honor's future business, at least. I definitely see the, see the rationale there. Yeah. Okay. Thomas, what was your worst major show? 
I don't think that the MSG take is that crazy, to be honest. Um, luckily for me, I was watching uh, the Final Four during it, so I was able to go back and just not watch all of the ROH stuff. I also <laughs> was watching the Final Four, uh, but, which but, it, was, it was a lot better after the fact, where I think if I was like watching live, and it wasn't spoiled, but I think if I was like really hyped up, I probably would have been like more upset about certain things. Yeah, okay. Um, but I'm with you on the Ibushi Naito match, and I thought a lot of the New Japan stuff in general is, you know, a little bit overrated by the consensus, especially the main event. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, that, really overrated. I totally agree with that. Um, but, yeah, given that I didn't see all the worst parts of the show, I thought it was, like, a solid New Japan show for the most part. Um, so worst major show for me of the shows that I actually watched would probably be Fastlane, back when I watched WWE at all. Um what was the Saudi show called? Was it what was it like Super Greatest Show Royal? Super Showdown. Super Showdown. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I'll go with that, even though I only watched the uh, main event from that. But if we're limiting it to shows I actually watched, I guess I'd go with Fastlane because nothing happened on that show. Like I don't remember a single match that took place. I know I watched it, but I have no recollection of what happened. I remember yeah. Kofi Kingston had a handicap match. And lost in about five minutes. Oh yeah, that that show. Is that the Shield, <laughs> the Shield reunion show too? Is that what else happened? That might have been that, the main event. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember. I remember liking the Shield reunion, and I remember thinking the rest of the show was like god awful, and just being amazed that they they were like takes online that it was a good show, being like how low the bar is now. Um, but yeah, my vote's also Super Showdown because again, I watched about half of it in a bar in Osaka, and. You know, it was very charming with the, the, the Japanese salaryman laughing at Shane McMahon going over Roman. But, my God. if I mean, look, if the, if the best match of the show was that Andrade, uh, you know, Finn Balor match, that is a bad fucking show. So, just horrendous, horrendous show. Um, but, yeah, Super Showdown. Let's see. We're, up next, we have Worst promotion which i again i think will probably not be a tough one although although i there's a there are two strong contenders here in my opinion i think one of them is going to end up winning but there is another very strong contender so gerard who is your pick for worst promotion well from both a quality and a moral perspective the worst promotion is wwe yes uh do you know where i'm going with the other strong contender uh, ROH. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I um, I actually ranked out my top three for each of the worsts, and okay. ROH was my third. Oh, who was your number two? Uh, Nova Pro, because oh, okay. they had that debacle on <laughs> uh, WrestleMania weekend, and they stiffed a bunch of uh, wrestlers on money, and apparently the uh, guy who was a promoter was a dick. So I gave it to them. Um, there's some still good stuff on ROH. Like I watched the pay per view on Friday, although the main event got cut short and was embarrassing but yeah i mean from just like a booking like some of the booking decisions even if the company isn't total crap i think is deserving of a consideration for worse for sure yeah lawson give me your pick for worst promotion so both WWE and ring of honor are so bad that i pretty much don't watch either of them anymore but the difference is i've been watching ring of honor since like 2011 and i've been watching WWE since i was nine years old uh, I've been watching this for 20 years and it got to the point where it was so bad I had to tap out. So, yeah, I'm going to go with WWE. A very fair pick. Paul, what do you think here for a worst promotion? 
Uh, so I think worst promotion is very easy to pick. It's WWE, but I think it's I think it's kind of the best opportunity to talk about another promotion that's been pretty horrible this year because it's just booked awfully, and that's uh, Big Japan. It's after WWE. It's probably the worst book promotion in the world where the booking just doesn't make any sense. Like the recent build for the title match was essentially just Takuya Nomura getting tapped out endlessly in the build-up for his big chance to win the strong title. And the deathmatch division has kind of been a bit uninspired as well, where their recent death climb tournament just didn't have any memorable moments. So Big Japan overall has been pretty bad this year. But overall, still, you cannot, in good conscience, not vote for WWE for worst promotion of the year. So that's my worst promotion of the year. I mean, it's almost, it's such a boring take, and the reasons are so obvious that I almost don't even blame you for spending the entire time talking about Big Japan. Because I mean, I don't think anyone listening to this really needs anyone to tell them why WWE is bad. But I mean, it's a uh, you know an easy pick. Sky oh, Paul, wait, let me get in real quick. Paul, did you know this morning? I don't know if you were logged into your Big Japan Core subscription, but uh, Takuya Nomura finally uh, tapped out Okabayashi in the build to the title match. Oh like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah. No, I did see that, but like still, like it's just. I mean, that's one of the examples. Like there's just other oh, yeah. examples as well where that promotion is just so weird. Like just burning big matches on like tiny shows. Oh yeah. I, oh sorry, guys, Alice. I was just gonna say I think Big Japan's like it's one of my favorite promotions from a match like quality perspective. Um, but the booking is just like so awful. Um, so it's a hard, I couldn't rank it best or worst. Like I could see it in my top five for both categories. Cause I do really enjoy a lot of the matches, but the booking can be kind of mind numbing sometimes to be completely yeah. honest. Yeah, for sure. All right, Skylar, worst promotion. Yeah. So once again, there's a theme of like, I find it hard to vote for things. I don't really watch. I don't really watch WWE. So ROH is my worst promotion. Um, the TV like recently has gotten to be like, if it, if it had been like this quality all year, it would be by far under raw because there's so much bully Ray and so much allure and so much like just mindless angles and a lot of Kenny King too, way too much Kenny King. i just like, they dominate the show so much that it just, you know, anything that could be good, you know, your PCO crazy bumps and stuff like that. It just is super, super overshadowed. And also, Nova Pro is among the best promotions in the world. If you talk about the amount of entertainment that's given me on Twitter <laughs> and all of the scandals and every single thing that happened. <laughs> and, I mean, it has brought me so much joy. I'm sad to see it go. Uh, luckily, apparently, that promoter is showing up at, like, other local shows, too, showing his face again. So, who knows? Maybe we'll get a revival soon. <laughs> I mean, I set it, you know, I set it up. I think Ray Mondo is a very legitimate candidate, especially if you include like business and stuff in it, because I mean, they're cratering even worse than WWE when it comes to attendance, which is kind of amazing because WWE is definitely cratering. So, you know, two terrible American promotions. Thomas, what is your vote for worst wrestling promotion? So I'm going to pull up Paul here and just I'll say WWE up front, but uh, just use it my time to talk about another promotion. That's going to be Fight Club Pro, which uh, the the owner of the promotion is Trent Seven of um, British Strong Style. And he signed an NXT UK contract 
that made it so that he cannot work his own shows. He got pulled from their big like overseas Japan debut this year, like a few weeks out because he signed an NXT UK contract and he now can't work his own promotion. So I want to give a shout out to Fight Club Pro there. And also their shows go up about three weeks after they take place and they still are like paper, like video on demand. So it's like $9 per show and there's just no buzz on it anymore, I feel like. So it it used to have a reputation of like the PWG of Britain and now it's just like kind of dead as is most of the UK scene, to be honest. Thanks, WWE. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't a big British wrestling fan anyway, but I, I can imagine if you were, it must be pretty terrible now. Um, but yeah, worst promotion, I have to go WWE, even though it, I talked to Ring of Honor. I just, what, I'm almost the reverse of Skyler, where I just, I haven't watched enough Ring of Honor, where I feel comfortable voting for them. I've watched, like, you know, they're, they're half of, I, mean, I never watched Ring of Honor TV. I don't think I've seen a single episode all year. I watched their half of the MSG show. I may have watched a little bit of what it, War of the Worlds, but not even that much, maybe like half a show. I didn't watch this last pay-per-view. Whereas WWE, I've watched most of their pay-per-views. I did skip some. I think I've seen almost... I think I've seen something of every single pay-per-view. Uh, maybe not the entire show. Um, you know, I just... And I turn on Robbie so often. But I just... It's really, really horrible. I mean, it's like beyond awful. You know, they these crowds are dead every, every fucking show. You know, attendance is cratering. Ratings are down. It's a terrible promotion. Don't need me to really go into much deep, more detail. So, yeah, WWE is my vote. Okay. So, up next, we have Worst Feud of the Year. This is an interesting one. Um, go ahead, Gerard. What is the Worst Feud of 2019 so far? Uh, Shane McMahon versus Roman Reigns. Uh, I don't. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, especially after Super Showdown. And I was debating this or uh, his feud with The Miz because I saw both of those matches that he had with The Miz, which were also very terrible but apparently um now that miz versus shane feud has also bled into the roman versus shane feud so you can like almost put them together so basically shane mcmahon versus anyone on the roster is almost <laughs> the worst feud in wwe right now uh lawson what do you got here for worst feud of the year so far yeah uh i'm with gerard i also have roman reigns versus shane mcmahon and also shane mcmahon versus the miz and i'd also like to add the other thing i hate about this Roman Reigns-Shane feud is, um, besides the fact that Roman came back from cancer for all this, uh, is I watched Drew McIntyre go back to the indies and, like, rebuild himself and, like, re-blossom and become a better worker and talker. And now he's the setup guy, the third guy in this feud. And I hate it. I hate everything about it. Yeah. Not a, I didn't think we are going to have such unanimity here, so let's see if we keep going. Paul, what's the worst feud so far of 2019? Well, I need to know if my pick is actually eligible because I want to say WWE versus TV ratings. <laughs> sure, whatever. But if it's just speaking from a strictly proper wrestling feud point of view, then it's uh, Shane McMahon that's Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> Skylar, what's your pick for worst feud? I think you'll break the streak, but who knows? Well, I, I think I think I was watching more like when I was watching WWE. I watched more of like the first couple pay per views of the year and like Raw earlier. So my pick is Baron Corbin versus Kurt Angle, which was like, I mean, it was barely, I mean, it it was a feud in the sense that like Raw was sort of like built around it weirdly for a while. 
and then they just had like a terrible match. It just felt like such a microcosm of how, you know, they have to, they try to like build up young guys by feeding them like old guys who aren't really relevant anymore. And they kill everything that makes like the old classic guy special. And then the new guy doesn't get any rub at all from it. It just, you know, it was like perfectly, it was just like a failure in every sense of the word. <laughs> and I mean, Shane McMahon really sucks, but I'm not going to watch any Shane McMahon matches to find out like how bad that feud is. So, uh, Thomas, give me your worst feud of the year so far. Well, first off, I just want to say to Gerard that Miz versus Shane McMahon match for WrestleMania was excellent. So I don't need to hear your slander. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should say excellent, but it was uh, fun at the very least. And uh, I didn't think anybody else would, you know, name my feud, but uh, Skyler did it. It was Baron Corbin versus Kurt Angle at WrestleMania, which was somehow Kurt Angle, like one of the most famous guys of all times, retirement match built as uh, was against Baron Corbin of all people, which is just absurd. But that's World Wrestling Entertainment in 2019, I guess. So I I strongly considered, I didn't even think of Baron and Kurt. That's a great pick. I, I, I guess I wasn't watching the TV enough to know how terrible the feud was on TV. I just knew they had a terrible retirement match. Um, my my pick I was most, I was strongly considering for a while was like Ronda versus Becky versus Charlotte because I think they just fucking took something. They had something and they just completely killed it with months of convoluted bullshit. But I have in the end, I have to go with Roman versus Shane. I put I actually put Roman versus Slane, uh, Shane slash Drew because really Drew's been like his under them the whole time. They also had a terrible match at WrestleMania. But either way, fucking terrible feud. And I'm sure everybody listening knows why. I don't have to go in that much detail. So the last of the worst categories, which probably means it'll be the last we hear of WWE for a while. Worst match of the year. Gerard, what is your worst match of 2019 so far? Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin at Stomping Grounds. That is also my pick. I can just say it right now. That uh, fucking sucked. It it was like WCW 2000 level booking. Yeah, and um, I don't, I don't have anything else to say. But just, I'm going to say this, just to get their name dropped in the worst category. Honorable mention to the Casino Battle Royale at Double or Nothing because I know don't, a, I don't think AEW is going to make an appearance in the worst otherwise. Yeah, that match also fucking sucked. But but, but Seth versus, and that probably was my winner until Seth versus Corbin. Yeah, it, it was in my top three. There's something else I'm not thinking of, maybe, but but set, once that Seth versus Corbin match happened, because I was already thinking about the half year awards. I was like, oh, what do I want to pick here? Maybe the Battle Royal. And then I was like, you know, let me watch Seth versus Corbin because I have a feeling. And I turned it on and watched it live. I'm just like, wow, this is actually even worse than I was expecting. I, I'm not sure why I keep, like, I've stopped watching the weekly TV, but I don't know why I still keep watching the pay per views. I, I don't know. Like, sometimes there's nothing else to do on a Sunday night. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much it for me too. It's like you, you. I sometimes I will not even turn it on until like halfway through, or I just watch the start or something. And with stopping around, they actually only watch the main event. But I just kind of turned it on, like, oh man, what what is this Seth Corbin match going to be like? And it was really god awful. <laughs> so there you go, Lawson. What is your pick for worst match of the year so far? Yeah, so I have a weird one here. In my notes, I have um, Benel Jermosen versus Lawson Leong from Brandon Saloon. May 8th. Uh, that's not... Don't worry about that. Actually, no. My pick is actually uh, Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon from uh, Super Showdown. Actually, uh, another strong contender. Yeah. I thought... I know... Not to 
uh, I know, I assume people are going to pick Goldberg and Undertaker, but I think this was worse just because, just because of everything we said about the feud before. It just, it, it, it literally broke my heart to watch. Uh, Paul, what do you think about worst match of the year so far? Uh, my pick is actually the same as Lawson's pick. It's Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon from Super Showdown. But that Salyman gave us so much joy, though. No, so I mean, it's, there was some definitely some enjoyment out of it, but it definitely wasn't enjoyment because it was a good match. It was just, it's a person, Roman, is Roman Reigns technically still supposed to be kind of like the biggest star in the company? I guess. In theory. <laughs> yeah. But. So why exactly is he selling for 50 minutes for a 53-year-old man? I don't, uh, dude, yeah, I have to ask Vince. I don't fucking know. It's it's, a good question. Shane McMahon is the worst example of nepotism in wrestling, and it's somehow worse in his second run kind of as a semi-active. Well, he's not even a semi-active performer. He's an active performer now. He's on every pay-per-view. He's, he's on every pay-per-view. He's on every show. He's everywhere. Shane McMahon is the top heel in the company. It's, no, that to me was the worst match I've seen so far this year. Yeah. Skylar, give me your worst match of the year so far. Uh, my worst match is Chris Jericho versus Kazucha Okada from wow. Dominion. Okay. Um, you know, to be the main event of like your second biggest show of the year, maybe third biggest, I guess, if you count MSG in terms of importance. But... Yeah, I think this recent Chris Jericho run has hopefully, I think it's converted some people. I think people are starting to realize that, you know, a lot of his hyped matches, like especially the Omega match, the first one, was very much like smoke and mirrors. It's just like a lot of like really silly spots. I mean, he's repeating spots from all of those matches now. He's already like run out of no DQ ideas. And I hated the Omega match he had this year too. He's just like super old and out of shape and he can't go. And his MMA bullshit is like Shane McMahon levels of garbage. And to be the main event of like your second biggest show, like this huge, you know, this, this huge, huge match where you're pitting like this legend against like a generational superstar and like the biggest ace in Japanese wrestling. Like, I think it was almost, it was so much of a disappointment and that's why I would put it in the worst. So, yeah, Naito is the only guy who can carry Jericho to good matches, I think, is what we've learned. Uh, yeah, I went like three and a quarter on that, so I can't call it worst, but it was definitely a big disappointment being there live, too. So what are you going to do? But yeah, Naito, Naito got some incredible matches out of him, but I don't disagree that like his non-Naito matches haven't been great. Uh, I, well, the evil match was okay. That was about the only... I went four on that, actually. That's about it. Thomas, what do you think for worst match of the year? I think Jericho Okada is that's not my pick, but I think that's a pretty good, you know, that's a pretty good pick. Uh, I think having that in the Omega match, like within the span of a couple of weeks, really exposed like how tired, like and repeating his spots are have been recently. Like I really like the the Naito match at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, but I have no idea if that would hold up. It just feels like his act is starting to get really tired, at least for me. Um, but my pick is going to be, we'll see if I piss off Paul here, a match that probably no one else has seen. It's going to be Absolute Andy versus Bobby Guns from uh, WXW's 16 Karat Golden Knight 2, which is their biggest show of the year. Uh, there was the title match main event, and the work wasn't bad in any sense, but the crowd did the dueling chance 
for literally the entire match. And I don't say literally as in like a 2019, literally like they did it the entire match, like through the closing stretch and everything. And they like, there were people that were trying to stop it and like react to all the, the finishing stretch and everything. But it was like a 20 minute match where the crowd did the same chant the entire way through. And I just, my mind was going numb halfway through the match. So I had to give a shout out to that. That's probably my worst match of the year. So I actually, I haven't seen that match, uh, but I kind of was at the match live where that probably is the reason why this match was this way, which was the Ilya Dragunov versus Bobby Guns match from the Tag League final uh, last year in October. And in that match, it was kind of, it just naturally developed into this dueling chant. And I, I'm sure that was kind of not very nice to watch on VOD, but being there, the live crowd, it was amazing. But yeah, I can imagine when they kind of did a rerun of that at Carrot that it just had to be supremely annoying. And it probably also didn't feel as natural as it did the first time around. Yeah, actually, I watched that match, the, the Ilya and Guns match from tag league and i actually did like that match at least to an extent but this one it felt like it felt like it was forced like you were saying um and like the work was you know i don't remember this was like three months ago but it was like fine and uh yeah it just felt forced i'm sure it's like an awesome atmosphere if you're there live but watching on vod it's like it was to be honest it was pretty annoying um especially the second time around like i was like okay the first time they did it was like okay this is actually pretty cool um, but the second time, I was just like, uh, come on, you guys are forcing it at this point. But, you know, it's whatever. Uh, and I, so my, I already said my worst match of the year. Seth and Corbin from Stopping Grounds. Just, yeah, I mean, fucking terrible. All right. The best weekly TV show, our last category B. Finally, some positivity. Gerard, what is your best weekly TV show of the half year so far? Uh, World Pro Wrestling on TV, uh, Asahi slash uh and jpw on access because they're practically the same show with different commentary so i think that's the best weekly tv show okay i mean it's just a bunch of new japan matches yeah exactly i mean uh (laughs) i mean i mean it'd be different but like who else does at least that on a weekly format yeah with you know you're gonna get the wrestle kingdom and the dominion and all the other big shows and that kind of thing so i don't think anyone really airs their big matches on weekly tv anyway now yeah they'll just be streaming Lawson, what do you got for best weekly TV? And to be clear, best weekly TV, you can pick a streaming show, which is totally fine, or a limited series, anything. I only watch one weekly TV show, and even then I have trouble uh, keeping up with it, and that's NXT. So, NXT. Okay. <laughs> Paul, what's your best weekly TV show? So, I really only watch one weekly wrestling TV show, and that's MLW Fusion. And it's Generally, I mean, I, and the reason I watch it is because A, it's very convenient for me to access it. And B, it's generally inoffensive if unspectacular. So I think that's all you can really ask for for weekly US wrestling at this point. So that's my vote. Skyler? Uh, my pick is Beyond Uncharted Territory. Um, I've gone up and down a lot on Beyond over the years. Yeah, they can, they can book a lot of really cool stuff and then book some stuff that's like absolutely turn off heat bullshit for me but i think the weekly tv has hid a lot of their problems i mean it's really tightened up the pacing of all of their shows and it really feels like you know week to week it's the only thing that i'm like oh man like this whole card looks awesome 
I can just like, you know, watch it in normal time, just like throw it on the TV. And it feels like literally watching, you know, when you're watching like a TV, like it really is like TV wrestling. It has that tone and feel and everything. Um, and I mean, I can't think of any other weekly show that I really like. So it wins by default anyway. Yeah. Seems to be a lot of that happening here. Thomas, what's your best weekly TV show? Well, you didn't introduce the award uh, properly. Isn't this supposed oh. to be the uh, the Manji Manji Memorial? I'm gonna say, talk about that in a second, but go ahead. Okay, so I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to <laughs> rain on your parade, but um, uh, I don't watch any weekly TV shows, but I do like get match recommendations from time to time, and based on those, I think I will go with 205 Live. So. I refuse to vote for 205 Live out of general principle, even though I've, I've watched some of the matches and enjoyed them. I just think it's such a fucking stupid brand with dead crowds and, like, just basically keeping wrestlers in purgatory. And then it, I think it's been even stupider now because you you have a guy like Buddy Murphy who fucking tears it up there, and they call him up and then just fucking do nothing with him. Like, not even just the way wrestling fans say do nothing. Like, literally do nothing. So I don't know that that it's like it's not even a good brand to like build future main roster stars. Apparently, apparently you're just gonna have a great run there, and then someday they'll just decide, okay, you're done, and you're gonna get called up, and you'll never appear on television again, or you'll be Cedric Alexander and you'll chase around the fucking twenty four seven title. So anyway, um, I don't have a vote here because I added this category last year entirely because I wanted to put over Maji Manji, which worked because it won the award by a landslide Maji Maji was fucking awesome but that ended at the end of last year so I don't watch any weekly television and I'm not going to vote for anything so I abstain okay now the category A shows so these will be first and second and third place um, we're going to be talking about you know different best bests here so definitely a lot more positivity again we're going to start with best major show. So again, anything other than an episode of a weekly TV show will qualify. Um, so number three, what's your number three best major show, Gerard? Uh, Double or nothing. Uh, I liked everything except for the main event and the match with the best friends and Jack Evans and and Helico. I thought, you know, and it's and it's and part of it is this whole spectacle of it and just like you know the whole Moxley debut and everything like that. So yeah, I really like that show a lot. Uh, and I'm like sort of iffy on, on AEW sometimes. I'm not particularly enthusiastic about their like web content and their like YouTube stuff that they do to promote shows. But I got to admit, like they hit that show out of the, they hit a home run with that show. Well, lots of people seem to love it. Everyone except the person they had on to review it. <laughs> uh, Lawson, what is your best major show? Yeah, the words making me redundant here. I also picked AAW's Double or Nothing. And I would just add, I think it definitely gets a bump from me because of the historical significance behind it. Yeah. Okay, so Paul, number three for this category, best major show. Um, my name, uh, my number three for major show is Hearted from June in Japan in Shinkiba First Ring. It's a show I attended live. It's all you could really want from a wrestling show. You had a posing contest. You had dark matches being conducted while the opening song from the first Baby Metal album was playing. You had a jiu-jitsu grappling contest. And in the main event, you had the world's sweatiest man. I mean, that show was awesome. I was also there with you, but I didn't put it in my top three. I guess I'm a coward. Skylar, what is your number three best major show? 
my number three is CMLL's uh, show from the 35th of May. Yeah, Lucio Final. Um, it has... Tyler, what was the date? You said the 35th of May. 31st. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, sorry, the cage match has their dumb European dates. Uh, <laughs> one of the worst things about this site. Anyway, uh, it's some really cool matches. It really overachieved based on like uh, what the singles matches were. I think on paper, a lot of people weren't really hyped for the show going into it. And um, the crown jewel is definitely the Metallico versus Virus loser must retire match. Uh, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> later today. Spoiler warning. But it is, you know, it's a super hot crowd. The, the whole crowd is hot the entire night. And they're really into all the stuff. There's you know, hair versus hair match later. There's a tag team title match, which is really cool. Like it's it's just a really it's just a really like great traditional, you know, CMLL type show where you're having, you know, a lot of the hair versus hair stuff, a lot of like the big stipulations where old guys are retiring and you know, new younger guys are featured and um yeah, it totally worked for me. Thomas, what's your pick for number three for best major show? Uh, kind of a boring pick for me, but I'm going with Wrestle Kingdom from January 4th. Uh, really good show. Not as good as previous Wrestle Kingdoms, but still, I would say, a very thumbs-up show. I had four matches, I think, at four stars or higher. Um, some of the stuff like the main event I wasn't quite as high on as other people, but I still enjoyed the main event. Uh, and, yeah, there was a lot of good matches. The semi-main was very good, uh, and there wasn't anything really bad like there was on dominion i really hated the uh, tag title match on dominion um but yeah good show uh the opener was good too you know thumbs up for me so speaking of dominion that's my number three pick here um you know i'm sure part of it was just being in the building live i just thought it was you know it's really incredible just to see osaka joe hall and you know which is a way even cooler building in person than i expected it to be but, you know, even with a very disappointing main event, as we discussed earlier, and a, like like uh, Thomas just said, a terrible tag title match, you know, it has one of my only two five-star matches of the year, Lucia Naito, which, you know, it's a controversial match, but I won five stars on it. And then I have, I won four and a quarter on Dragon Lee and Osprey, four and a quarter on Taichi and Ishii. Uh, I thought Shingo and Kojima was a really cool little 10-minute match. And it had a lot of, like, really, it had a cool newsworthy feel to it too with like all these people you know coming out and announcing for the g1 you know kenta's debut was you know a, again a controversial moment to some people but a really amazing moment to be there in the building for so i think that kind of helps elevate it to a number three spot here even though you know it wasn't a perfect show by any means so number two show of the year gerard what do you got here uh wrestle kingdom 13 um like the show, I mean, it was rushed. I could have even seen it putting it in my number one spot if uh, Ishii versus Saber and uh, Kushida versus Ishimori got some more time because th- those two matches I felt suffered from them trying to like get everything into four hours. But other than that, um, I really liked everything and I did really like the main event. Um, so yeah, I have no problem saying that's number two. All right, Lawson, number two. So. I actually don't have any New Japan shows in my top three, which is surprising because I really enjoyed them this year. Because, But I couldn't leave this off. Number two, I have to pick from April 4th, DDT is coming to America. Uh, 
which also gets a live bump for sure, but it's the best live show I've ever been to. Besides seeing the multiple title changes and not just of like uh, their, uh, their yeah. yeah, not just the Iron Man title, but like their world title changing twice. And also the fact that uh, as a New Yorker, we've now adopted Tetsuya Endo as a true Brooklyn boy. Everything from Empire Big Dick and everything about it. And the fact that a fan left with a toilet seat. Um, I'm never going to forget that show, so I have to put it as my number two. Paul, give me your number two best major show. So my number two is J-Stage from the 3rd of June in Tokyo, Japan. And that is just a top-to-bottom tremendous show. It's you're In the semi-main, you have a really good strong heart six-man tag match. Uh, also on the undercard, you have the greatest moment in wrestling psychology ever, where Hiroshi Yamato got his tights pulled down, and so he couldn't pull, uh, kick out of a crucifix pin because he had to cover his trunk with his hands, <laughs> which really, it all peaked there. And then in the main event, you just had a tremendous uh, 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 world heavyweight title match between Erie and Joji Otani, who is someone that people should definitely keep an eye on. It's, I had actually never seen him before, and he just tore the house down with Erie in the main event. Yeah, I mean, that match was just fucking awesome and just... Like you said, out of nowhere, because I'd never seen Otani before either. But that was better than anything Iria did in his entire DDT title run this last run, anyway. Uh, Skyler, go ahead. Give me your number two best major show. Uh, my pick is Absolute Intense Wrestling Slumber Party Massacre, which was their Mania weekend week show. Uh, I think it's a contender for like maybe one of the best shows they've ever done. And for it to be like a super small indie from Cleveland and just you know book a show where it wasn't really heavy on like stars or like big dream matches or anything they just tried to present like the best aiw show possible uh and i think almost like everything delivered what you would want like scott signer versus swoggle is like exactly what you would want from that shinjiro tani versus eddie kingston like nick gage versus mance warner like every you know it's a great intro to the promotion too so I think it worked super well from a live perspective because there's obviously a lot of people there who weren't really familiar with the product. And then um, Joshua Bishop versus Dominic Greeny, one of my probably a top three match of the entire week of Mania Week. And I've seen almost every single show that happened. Um, you know, if you like Dominic Greeny has like cauliflower ears and Joshua Bishop sticks skewers in them, it's insane. It's like a great great match like anyone could watch and instantly enjoy even if you like aren't familiar with the story in the match um and i mean from a storytelling perspective there's a title change on that show it's just an awesome awesome show and very similar to like ddt coming to america where it feels like it encapsulates the spirit of the promotion in many ways and that like really elevates it uh thomas give me your number two for best of your show uh, well, first off, a strong second to that uh, Submitter Surrender match. That was a great match. But uh, my number two is going to be the best of the Super Junior Finals from uh, New Japan. I believe that was June 5th. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. The top three matches were all varying levels of good to great with the tremendous main event. And while the undercard was like, you know, a bunch of three, three and a quarter matches, uh, it was really cool to see the juniors like, put outdraw wwe in sumo hall so that was cool to see as a uh, junior fan 
Yeah, I mean, that show was awesome, but it's not in my top three. My pick for number two best major show, it's the same as Lawson's. I went with DDT is Coming to America. It was just a really, like, amazing live experience just to see, you know, what's been my favorite promotion over the past few years come to come to America and, like, just put on that great a performance, have the crowd be that into it, which I, I did not expect at all going in. I did not expect the crowd to be as familiar with everybody as they seem to be and just be as into everybody as they were. And it had a couple of incredible matches. I mean, a four-and-a-quarter-star main event, uh, a four-star match with uh, Mao and Takagi. Oh, no, four-and-a-quarter one on that also, Mao and Takagi. But this is a show where, like, the live atmosphere really elevates it. You know, the the historic nature of it, of this being DDT's first show in America, really elevated it for me. And it was a very important show storyline-wise, too, with Endo winning the title and becoming a native New Yorker, as Lawson talked about. So... And that was a moment I waited a long time for, too, with, to, to see Endo win the title. Um, but I did not expect it to come via Sasaki like it did, but that was still really quite the moment. All right, so number one, best major show of the year. Give me your pick here, Gerard. Uh, Dominion, actually. Uh, I, bracketing the main event, which I thought was weak, uh, it had, um, like, I thought Abushi versus Naito was better than anything on Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, I agree. I thought that the much maligned tag title match was a, a gentleman's three. Uh, Kojima versus uh, Takagi was awesome. And uh, the junior match, I don't know, in the four to a quarter, four and a half range. So I just thought, felt the pace and the whole, like, you know, the whole, like, everyone's calling out to be in the G1 and everything. Uh, to me, uh, put it above Wrestle Kingdom uh, for show of the year. All right. Lawson, give me your best major show for 2019 so far. Yeah, I went with um, NXT Takeover New York. There's just not like, there's just no fat on this show. Like, I don't, I know opinions may vary on the main event, uh, which I ended up liking more on the second viewing, which is the first Gargano Cole match. But also the opening tag, I went like four and a half on. Dream and Real, I went like four and a quarter. And Walter Pete Dunn was like maybe my least it was like weirdly disappointing but i still loved it if that makes sense it's like i just i feel like they could have done better but it was still like a like a four and a half star match and uh the women's match was still really good it was maybe the weakest thing on the show but it was still more there was there was just no there's just no there's nothing bad nothing even okay i i loved pretty much the entire show all right paul best major show so far this year so best major show so far this year for me was the Best of the Super Juniors final. It just all of the undercard matches were at least fun. And then the top three matches were all very good. And the final was just an absolutely tremendous match and really near perfect for me. And so it really was just the best show for me. And what is also really worth mentioning for that show is that you had the debut of Moxley after he left WWE and just the way he came across when he walked out in that arena is just incredibly memorable. It You just could feel the star power just emanating off this man and it was just fascinating to see. All right. Thanks, Paul. Skylar, your best major show pick. Okay, uh, my best major show pick is the Block A final of the Champions Carnival from All Japan. Um, 
I think the block matches were I had them all at three and a half stars or better, and two of them were match of the year contenders, like four and a half stars, which is the highest rating that I've given any match this year. Um, I think Ishikawa versus Zeus is like one of the more underrated match of the Champions Carnival. A lot of people are like burned out by like the midpoint of the tournament, which just sort of sucks and didn't get around to a lot of this stuff or only watch like the Miyahara matches. And the Miyahara versus Okabe, Yuji Okobayashi match from this show is awesome too. But the Ishikawa versus Zeus match like reminded me of, you know, not only Ishikawa being like one of the best wrestlers of this decade and especially in recent years, but also Zeus just being like one of the best wrestlers in the world. And when he's on and when he's trying, he's so, so good. And it's why, like, I was, like, in love with his year last year and thought it was, like, one of the, you know, best years from a J- Japanese heavyweight we've had in some time. Uh, so it's just an awesome show. I mean, the crowd is also really hot. It's one of the hotter crowds uh, that All Japan got on this tour. So, I don't know, it totally worked for me. Any any show with, like, multiple match of the year contenders and nothing bad is usually going to be high in my book. Yeah. Uh, that show was awesome, so I can see make see that pick for sure. Thomas, what's your pick for best major show? Uh, I'm I wasn't there live, but my pick is actually DDT is coming to America from April fourth. Uh, the main or the scheduled main event uh, with Takashita and Sasaki was four and a half stars for me. I liked it better than their Judgment match. Uh, I've watched you know a lot of DDT the past few years and seen a lot of the delayed entry battle royals, but. I think the one on this show is one of my favorites of that style. And then also you got the Weapon Rumble on this show, plus a lot of like solid tag matches. Uh, so yeah, that was my favorite show of the year. Uh, strong shout out to the A-Block Finals. That was the first one that I had off my list was the Carnival A-Block Finals, a great show there too. But uh, yeah, perfect introduction to DDT for a new fan. And even for someone that's been watching DDT for a while, it was like a really great show. So my number one is probably a little off the board. I'm going with the DDT King of DDT final, uh, which is in May 19th, Corican. It just had three matches I really loved, Endo Ishii, Takashida, Soma, and the, the, the actual DDT final, and Takashida Higuchi. I won four plus on all of them. Um, and just, you know, I'm always a sucker for tournaments, and I really enjoyed most of the show. And, I, you know, as somebody that really, really likes both Endo and Ishii, just seeing them go out there and kill it was, uh, you know, like a, a great moment for me. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought this did a great job building for Peter Pan and setting up Endo and Takashita. So it did a great job building for the future. At the same time, it was a very enjoyable show uh, on its own right. So that is my number one pick. So let's move on then to the next category, which is most outstanding wrestler. So so this this category... For people who aren't aware of the observer terminology, would be just from the end ring. So you're not considering anything else but somebody's in ring performance. So the best wrestler of the year so far, just from an in ring perspective. Gerard, give me your number three pick for most outstanding wrestler. Number three, Kota Ibushi. Um, I think it speaks for itself. We've already touched on like his matches with Naito, and then I'd add in his match with uh, Osprey um, at the Wrestle Kingdom and his. Um, new japan cup run and i really really loved his uh ic title defense against saber that's one of definitely would be probably maybe on the lower end but still in my top one of my top 10 matches of the year so just another incredible year from ibushi all right blossom most outstanding number three 
I went with uh, Tomohiro Ishii, my eternal uh, favorite New Japan wrestler. Supposed to know that Kushida's not there. Uh, I thought he was the uh, MVP of the New Japan Cup. Uh, his matches with uh, Nagata, uh, Taichi, and Okada, I went four and a half on all of those. I thought they were all excellent. I thought that was... Uh, I know Taichi had some good matches with Naito, but I, I feel like the two matches he had with Ishii are where Taichi's best work. Uh, and I just think he continues to be uh, an amazing stone pit bull pillar of the company. All right, Paul, number three for most outstanding. My number three for most outstanding is Naoya Nomura, who has emerged this year in a major way. He, first of all, he had a tremendous triple crown title match with Kento Miyahara, and then followed that up with a very strong uh, champion carnival tournament, where on the final night he had a great match first with Suwama, and then followed that up with that tremendous performance against uh, Jake Lee, in the deciding match to decide the final for the champion carnival. And just overall, he has had a very strong year in the tag matches as well. It's actually just today he had a great six-man tag match on the All Japan show. All right. Uh, and Skylar, go ahead with your number three for most outstanding. Uh, so my number three for most outstanding is uh, Meiko Satomura. Uh, weirdly enough, I'm not the biggest Satomura fan in the world. I mean, I think she's awesome, but, you know, like with a lot of people who cross over into, like, mainstream wrestling territory, I think her influence on Joshi overall, or I guess her place in the overall Joshi canon is a little bit wonky right now. Because you have a lot of people who don't really watch Joshi, like, singing her praises. But I think she was awesome this year. I mean, I think she is, like, obviously, like, one of the best parts of, like, every tag match, especially, like, yeah, in DDT, she has a, had a few opportunities this year uh, to do, like, the six-man tag team stuff. And, um, you know, she has the Takashita draw now, too. And I um, also think she has, I mean, I don't want to get into match of the year stuff, but, you know, she might appear on that list, too. So, yeah, I think her high end stuff is just, like, so, so high. And she's always good. She doesn't really have bad singles matches. And then she's, like, an MVP of like any tag she's in. So it's really hard for me to, you know, look at her resume, look at like what's made tape for her this year. And, you know, the highs are so high. It's just, you know, I can't go against her. So, oh, and the Reika Psyche match. Forgot about that. Awesome. Yeah, that, awesome was, awesome. Match. that was an awesome match. Yep. Thomas, your number three most outstanding wrestler. Uh, for my number three, I would go with someone that I have I've sung his praises on the past. My last two appearances, uh, I gave this guy a four and three-quarter star match, and that's going to be Suwama. Um, had the great match against Kento uh, in February, I believe, the Nomura match on the B-Block Final Champion Carnival Show. Um, both of the violent BJ matches uh, between the teams of Violent Giants and Strong BJ. Uh, he has four matches in my top 20 of the year, and th- three matches like in my top like seven of the year that I have at four and three quarters. Um, Tetsu Naito is the only one with two. So yeah, Suwama is a guy, he's 42 years old and is still like, you know, he doesn't put in the most effort in tags and stuff, but like when he wants to go, uh, he can go still. And yeah, I mean, I think he's demonstrated that this year. All right. So my number three here, I have Kota Ibushi. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, Gerard covered. 
He's in one of my only two five-star matches of the year. You know, I won four and three quarters in the other two Naito matches, too. Um, you know, I have another four and a half star match, which is which is the Saber match, and I won four stars on their on one of their uh, build up six mans. I think from night two of Duntaku, maybe it could have been night one because they did the same match two nights in a row. But I think it was night two. But yeah, so a lot of high end stuff for me with Ibushi, and you know, I think he's he's not a guy that takes tags off or anything either. So I think he's more than earned number three here. Okay, number two for most outstanding wrestler. Go ahead, Gerard. What do you got here? Uh, Kento Miyahara. Uh, he's having an incredible year. And I, <laughs> do we have the exact same top three? <laughs> kind of fun. Um, and I think uh, he's getting more uh, notice outside of Japan because now you've got Meltzer like comparing him to Ric Flair in some ways. So I think there's been more attention on him. Uh, he was probably my number one up and through April, uh, but he, you know, but still, I mean. By mo by any wrestler standard, still an incredible year just from his, you know, first match in January against Kai to his performance in the Champion Carnival to most of his um, title defense, triple crown title defenses. Although I was a little disappointed today with his match with Yoshitatsu, but other than that, I mean, that's the only like smudge on his record at all this year. Just an incredible year so far. All right, Lawson, number two for most outstanding. There's a lot of great aces in Japanese wrestling. You got Okada, you got Jahiro Hashimoto, but you know what? Kenzo here, Miyahara is definitely my favorite. Uh, I feel like I've been a fan of him since uh, he basically became the ace a few years back, but I feel like this year he's really figured it out. Uh, his, I think he's made his somewhat formulaic match structure. He's found ways to um, be more inventive in it, especially within the closing stretches. Uh, and just add things here and there. And he's also made his, um, what was my least favorite part of his act, which was his finish, the package German, but he's made it uh, like one of the most dramatic finishers in pro wrestling, uh, just with basic psychology. He doesn't, and uh, yeah, I also like that Meltzer's been uh, talking about it more, and I just think this is really his year, so he's my number two. Paul, what do you got here from Most Outstanding Wrestler? So Gerard and Lawson just kind of stole all of my talking points because my number two is also Kento Miyahara. Wow. Um, so maybe what I want to talk about then is that it's been fascinating to see that now he's kind of gotten into the position where he's no longer, where he's really firmly established as the age, as the ace so much that he is now the person that goes out there and he makes new stars by having great matches with them as we saw with Nomura earlier this year and Yes, people said the match today with Yoshitatsu maybe wasn't the best, but I think as far as Yoshitatsu matches go, it was still a fairly strong match as well. And then overall, just his incredibly strong resume in the Champion Carnival and in his Temple Count title matches overall, he's a well-deserved number two. All right. Uh, Skyler, number two, most outstanding. Uh, my number two is Tetsuya Naito. Um, I just... You know, as I I think as time goes on, uh, one of my biggest issues in New Japan is that the, it feels very samey. A lot of like the star power of guys is sort of getting like ironed out. And Naito is like one of the guys who's over the past two years stands out every single time he comes out. He always feels like a star. Doesn't ever look like a geek. <laughs> you know, uh, I I just think he's just been able to get good matches out of a variety of different 
opponents, a variety of different styles. You know, of course, the Ibushi matches, but also like the Jericho match just should not have worked, and it did. Um, you know, the Tai Chi match had that weird the beatdown segment and all this other stuff that maybe could have derailed it, and then he just like made it worthwhile again. And I just think it speaks to his value as like a singularly like outstanding performer. And yeah, I I can't really see any argument for him not being like if you're looking at you know his star power and his look and his overall package, I would say he's like the best wrestler in the world. And it's like not there's no real number two who comes close to him. He's just that good at presenting himself, you know, killing it every single match, like standing out even in tags and or using his charisma to coast through a smaller match, like he's just awesome. This may shock you listeners at home, but I agree with everything Scott has just said. So <laughs> he's pretty good. The tipsy trying to endear myself to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, what do you think here for number two most outstanding? Uh, I'm sad that Skylar broke the streak because I also have Kento Miyahara here. Um, I've had. I think all of his title matches this year outside of the Yoshitatsu match that took place this morning at like four and a half or higher, which is like completely absurd. Uh, And his carnival run was, I think, an all-time run. Uh, And so, I mean, I really went back and forth between him and my number one up until the last minute. I ended up moving Kento down to number two uh, and bumping him up in another category. Um, But yeah, he's had just an incredible year. He's done a great job getting new stars over in Nomura and Jake Lee, who both of which I think have taken a huge step forward this year. Um, and you can kind of point to the Kento main events in Corkin as like big progressions in their stories. So, yeah. And then obviously this is supposed to be from an in-ring perspective. So, uh, yeah, he's had some incredible matches, uh, including the Suwama match, which is my favorite Kento match, which might be a hot take. No, I, I have Kento match this year. I have that one really high up, too. I think it might be my favorite, too. Uh, but yeah, my number two is also Kento Miyahara, and everybody else talked about him already since everybody but Skyler wrote it for him here. So I guess I don't have much to add. He's really, really good. Um, the only thing I'm a little bit worried about with him for the second half of the year is if he might drop because, you know, he's already been through the Champion Carnival, whereas, you know, the New Japan people haven't done the G1 yet. Uh, you're still the stardom five-star Grand Prix because if I had a number four, it would be Momo Watanabe. And I think she's going to have some more opportunities in the five-star Grand Prix to push her way up, too. So I could see Kento dropping out of the top three in my second half of the year, uh, depending on what other title defenses he ends up having. But he will have the tag league, which he almost always has a really some really good performances in. But yeah, so I have Kento number two here. All right, Gerard, who is your number one most outstanding wrestler for the first half of 2019? Uh, will Ospreay. Uh, I, I didn't think I would... Back in January, I don't think I would think I would be saying this, but um, it was just an incredible run. Uh, that Best of the Super Juniors was wild. The final night of um, the Best of the Super Juniors was an incredible match. Uh, I haven't heard, I haven't watched the uh, Southern Showdown match with Robbie Eagles, but everyone is raving about it. And there was also other like just indie performances, like his match against bandito in new york at the wrestlecon super show was like another four and a half star match um and his run in um the new japan cup his match with okada actually i am a little lower on that maybe only four and a quarter 
but I really also loved his uh, match with uh, Lance Archer, which I know you didn't like so much, John, but I also thought that was another awesome performance from Osprey. And so he just ran away with it in the last two months for me. All right. Um, So let's see, Lawson, who do you have for number one most outstanding? I also have Will Osprey. I think uh, there was a lot of great performances in tournaments this year. Uh, Ishii in the New Japan Cup, uh, Mayahara in the uh, Champions Carnival. But I do think Osprey's performance in the Best of the Super Juniors is uh, one of the best uh, tournament performances uh, that I've ever seen, at least. Uh, I, he made every match, even if not every match was four stars or better for me, they all felt you. They all felt special in different ways. And uh, yeah, I think this is this just feels like the year that he's picked. He has like matches, like great matches. I forget about like the match with A Kid, uh, the match with Pac, which. I know some folks didn't love everything about because of the weird finish, but I really loved uh, most of that match. So, yeah, I think this is, uh, for me, it's Will Ospreay. All right. Paul, number one most outstanding so far? My number one most outstanding so far is Seth Rollins. No, it's Will Ospreay, of course. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, as as Gerard and Larson have said before, his resume this year just has been outstanding and really is his award to lose, not just for the half year, but really for the entire year, given that he's in Heat G1 as well, which means he will just build on this already just very broad resume. It, he really has been having amazing matches around the world. If it's in Europe, where he had the great match with Akit, if it's in the US, where he had the great match with Bandido, or of course, just his just insane amount of amazing matches he's had in Japan so far. Alright, Skyler, I think you're going to break the streak, but Go ahead. Number one most outstanding so far. Yes. Continuing the streak from, yeah, number two, Kenta Miyahara is my number one. Um, you know, I think he's he's reached the the plane of Ace where now he pretty much can just have a good match on any show, on like a small show against like an opponent where he probably shouldn't have a good match. Um, and, you know, it's definitely, it speaks to how quickly he was put in that position where he was sort of bestowed the title of ace pretty early on before some people thought he was ready and he sort of had to grow into that role and he's still improving which is just it's nuts just like how much he's been able to improve like you know he's doing a lot of the little things more he's able to like work heal more effortlessly he's able to work comedy better he's able to stand out in tags better um and I think matches like the Neo Neo uh, oh sorry the Nomura match, uh, <laughs> you know, what he's able to get out of like a obvious like there's no way Nomura is going to win the title. It's just a little you know filler match before the Champions Carnival. Like he's able to make matches like that feel like they're the main event of the biggest show of the year, and anything could happen. And yeah, you know, he's just. Also, like Naito, just like a really singularly talented performer. And we're lucky to be watching him. All right. Uh, Thomas, number one most outstanding so far this year. My number one would be Kota Ibushi, mostly because of his consistency. He's had six singles matches this year, and I have all six of them at four and a quarter stars or higher. Um, That would be the three Naito matches, the two Sabre matches, and the Osprey match from Wrestle Kingdom. I loved all of them. I have two of them at four and three quarters or higher, um, two of the Naito matches. And, uh, yeah, he's awesome in tags. He never, like, 
well, I shouldn't say never, but at least I don't notice him taking nights off because um, he always has like, you know, a lot of the things he does like don't require like to do like he does crazy flips and, you know, stuff in singles matches, but he can get by without doing that in tags and still put in great performances. And on top of those singles matches, he has all of those like LIJ versus Abushi plus chaos matches uh, that he was in and the build up to the Naito matches, which I feel like I've seen like 15 of those this year, but they've all been like three and a quarter to four stars. So like, you know, they're fun to watch every time. So yeah, Kota Ibushi, my number one most outstanding. And my number one is Tipsy and Naito. Probably not surprising to people, but he's in a five-star match. Um, you know, like I said, the two, three and a, two, four and three-quarter matches with Ibushi, but then another four and three-quarter match with Jericho, which I think looks even more impressive now seeing Jericho kind of shit the bed with Omega and Okada. Um, and then a four-and-a-half-star match with Taichi, which was, you know, just an incredible match. I think got way underrated because of the bullshit at the start. I think they're going to maybe even have an even better one in the G1, but we'll see. But yeah, I just think, you know, for high-end stuff, he's the, the clear leader for me. Um, I kind of feel like it's his award to lose, with me at least. I know it's most people probably have don't have him on that radar yet, but maybe if he has a really, really awesome G1 like he did last year, he'll get a little more respect. But that's my number one most outstanding so far to see you night do. All right, best promotion. Start with number three. Gerard, give me your number three for best promotion. Uh, number three, uh, Game Changer Wrestling. Um, really enjoyed uh, pretty much everything they've done this year. I'm not even a deathmatch guy, really, but the shows are entertaining. The crowds are hot. Uh, you know, I like how they book, you know, talent that you ne- not necessarily have seen in a long time. Uh, the only thing I would knock against them is, is Orange Cassidy. I don't get it. I don't like them. They're pushing them too hard. But otherwise, it's been a really fun year from GCW. All right, cool. Lawson, number three, best promotion. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to go with AEW. Um, they, they've had two shows. But when I think about all the promotions that uh, have a show and I'm legit excited to watch a show they produce, uh, AEW is in the top three. So I'm going to put it at number three. All right. Paul, number three, best promotion. Uh, number three best promotion for me is All Japan. They just had a great kind of first half of the year with the Champion Carnival and all of the great uh, Kenta Miyaha title matches. There are con- some concerns for me for the second half, kind of because there isn't really all that many fresh matches for Kenta to go to. But I think just for the first half of the year, it's All Japan. Skyler, your number three best promotion. Uh, my number three is Game Changer Wrestling. I think that they've really hit a stride in terms of being like a year-round promotion, not just like a promotion with cool deathmatch shows and then weird Janela-branded shows. Uh, so we'll see how it goes with Janela leaving and all that other stuff. But I think their mania presence this year was like pretty perfect. The way they hand, like split up the spring break shows and it both felt very distinct. The Bloodsport show obviously ruled. Um yeah, I think that they just, every single car just has lots of singles matches that sound awesome. And that's pretty much all you need to be a good American wrestling promotion. All right. Thomas, number three, best promotion. Uh, the top three to me for this were like, they were pretty clear to me, but the order was like super tight. Uh, I ended up going with my number three as DDT. Uh, and we're supposed to consider like all the umbrella brands for this. So that includes Basara, which I think has had a very good year as well. 
Tokyo Joshi Pro, I think, not quite as good as last year. Some of the Yamashita title defenses were a little bit under expectations, but they've still been solid. Uh, but yeah, DDT, you know, it's a pretty solid year. They have my show of the year, um, but their biggest show so far was a little bit of a disappointment, I'd say. Still an overall thumbs-up show in judgment. Um, but a lot of good matches. Tetsuya Endo's been incredible as champion. Um, the Makoto Oishi match from the Korkin, I want to say that was either May or April. We covered it the last time I was on the show. Yeah, it was really good. I had that like four and a half stars, and I wanted to go higher. Um, really awesome match there. So, yeah, DDT, awesome promotion. I could completely see anybody having them number one. Uh, and, yeah, also want to give a shout-out to Sendai Girls. Uh, they don't make tape as often as I'd like, but very good promotion. They've had a great year. Number three for me is All Japan. Um, you know, I think they had a very good Champions Carnival. You know, definitely had some bad stuff, but so much high-end stuff. That, that really carried the first half of the year, and then a bunch of other Kento defenses that were really good. Um, and, the, and plus the, you know, well, one of them was in Big Japan. But the Violence Giants versus, uh, you know, Strong VJ match was awesome. I think, you know, like like uh, whoever had them third, I think Paul, who, like he said, I think I do have concerns for the second half of the year, and I could see somebody passing them because, you know, there isn't a ton I'm excited about right now in All Japan. But the first half of the year was undeniably very strong. So I'm, that's definitely an easy pick here for third. Okay, Gerard, your number two promotion of the year so far. Uh, number two, All Japan. Um, you know, I, the, we've already talked about, like, the Champion Carnival and the Kento defenses. Uh, I just think they rank really high for me. If I were to, like, even just, like, take a look at how many All Japan matches would be in my top 10 or top 20 matches of the year. I agree with the concerns about what the second half of the year is going to look like. Although, I mean, uh, we're get, it looks like we've, we're getting Jake Lee and Nomura have reformed their team. So that's something to look forward to in the second half of the year. And I think we're getting another Zeus challenge of the Triple Crown because uh, I think he's going to beat Sai for the number one contenders uh, for the Triple Crown match, which is going to come up in a july corkin so i think there's definitely potential for the second half of the year to still have some really great matches all right lawson what is your number two best promotion uh it'd be ott over the top wrestling from ireland uh it feels like it's basically become like irish pwg now um they have like a bunch of super matches on their big shows uh and a bunch of uh, international talent but also their main event level booking gets me legitimately invested in a way that very few promotions do. Uh, maybe no other promotions do. Uh, and the whole, their, the fuse they had this year with Jordan Devlin, David Starr, and Jordan Devlin and Walter, and a lot of their stories, not to mention their promo packages are uh, probably the best in the game right now. Um, they are easily my number two. All right. Paul, give me your number two best promotion. Um, my number two is Dragon Gate. It's they. Last year, they probably had one of the weakest years ever in their promotion. And they've really turned it around this year with the Park title reign. And just overall, the promotion feeling a lot more fresh. It's, I kind of had with it when they started bringing in people like Kai and Kazuma Sakamoto. But both of those have actually worked out tremendously well and have really freshened up the promotion. So overall, I think they have really turned it around now and have gotten really strong in recent weeks. And I think they are probably only going to get better as the year gets on as well. All right. Skylar, your number two best promotion. 
my number two is AAA, which I think just and every year I think they're in contention for this, despite all of their you know obvious problems, just because they produce like a maddening amount of good matches. Um, obviously, like I know El Yo Dale Vikingo versus Laredo Kid is getting buzzed this year, but pretty much every year they have like you know dozens of matches like that that are just like awesome spot fests, really cool brawls, like awesome like old man lucha beatdowns like they just they understand what they are really well and they feel like um sort of like if wwe just knew like were more self-aware it's like they they know shit is like weird or bad at times but they just they commit really hard to it they're very sincere and they you know just you know, when the opportunity presents itself, they just put two really good wrestlers in the ring and let them do crazy stuff. And Mexico being the hotbed of talent, you know, they always, you know, find new people, find young guys who are doing crazy out of this world stuff and produce awesome matches. So they're number two for that. All right. Thomas, your number two best promotion. Number two for me is all Japan, uh, a great carnival, some great Kenta defenses. Um, most most everything has been covered. You know, the f- second Strong BJ uh, versus Violent Giants match was in All Japan. I slightly preferred the first, but the second one was a, a tremendous match as well. Uh, you know, the junior scene is always up and down, but I think it's actually been better than it has uh, in a while this year. Um, most recently with the Aoki Memorial match um, with Sato and Okada that main evented one of the recent Corkins. Uh, so yeah, I think All Japan has done a really good job, you know, uh, in ring, uh, and then the recent shows have both been pretty good, uh, despite you know Aoki's uh, unfortunate you know death. Uh, so yeah. All right. So my number two for best promotion is DDT. Um, they've fallen off a little bit to me compared to last year, especially not the main brand actually. The main brand is probably a, maybe a little better than last year even because. You know, you don't have the, the Eerie title ring is such a mess that it dragged down the main brand. So the main brand, I don't feel like it's been on fire or anything like it was a few years ago, but I do feel like it's been way more good than bad. You know, judgment like uh, like Thomas just said was a little disappointing, but I still thought it was a really good show. The muscle show I thought was incredible, and like that, if anything, elevates DDT's year for me as far as like just having an incredible year just that you know like nothing else that anyone's done this year and just was a lot a lot of fun um the endo rain's been awesome it's a lot of good stuff on the main brand um you know the the thing that drags it down a little bit for me and a lot of a lot of them falling out of number one too is just that i think my number of promotions having an incredible year but um as far as like what maybe drags the ET down a little bit for me is Tokyo Joshi, which I think has had a big drop from last year. Um, you know, I just don't think the company's up to the same standard. I think they've, you know, they've lost some people that I liked, you know, they lost Reika Psyche now. Uh, they lost Azusa Christie to retirement. You know, I like Masao, but I just think the, the element of Azusa was a lot better with, with Saki-sama. Uh, like the chemistry there was just higher. And, you know, Miriam Mashita, her title defenses this year just weren't as strong. Um, I thought the way she lost the title was really weak. I just, I know some people really like Choco Nakajima's win, but I just thought that was a really weak way to end such an epic reign. Uh, I could, wasn't really that into the Tokyo 
to Princess Cup stuff. Um, so it's just not, and, and you know, the, the Mizuki and Yuka Sakazaki title reign, which I think was the best thing about the promotion for a while now, just ended in a pretty disappointing match that I was there for. So Tokyo Joshi falling off to be going from like probably my favorite promotion on its own last year to just a promotion I watched that I, you know, I still like, but just hasn't been nearly as strong. So that would be my reason here for DDG dropping, but still a great complete package. All right, Gerard, give me your pick for best promotion so far in 2019. New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, they have had, I think, a, a year a, or at least a half year so far. I think that's exceeded expectations. They really didn't uh, miss a beat when the elite left. I think that probably hurt some of their drawing ability in the United States. But I think the key there is that they can regain that over the long term if they just keep putting on really great shows in the States which I think the G1 uh, opening night will do. Um, and they've continued to push the juniors up the card. I mean, they gave Dragon Lee and Taiji Ishimori their own main event. They gave, they put best of the super junior finals in Sumo Hall. Um, the booking has been good. Um, I guess maybe the, the Jay White thing was a little wonky for some people, but again, that was because of Kenny Omega leaving and I mean, I, you can't really think of very many bad shows. I mean, what, maybe two or three bad shows that made um, New Japan World, like that recent Kazuna Road with the Taguchi versus El Phantasmo and Yoshihashi versus Saber was boring. But like, that's a very rare occurrence um, on New Japan World. So I just think they, they continue rolling on and I expect an even bigger uh, second half of the year with the G1. All right. Lawson, your number one promotion of the year so far. Yeah, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, I think a lot of their stories, uh, I really love that they've told this year. A lot of just great feuds, whether it be Naito and Ibushi, uh, Ibushi and Zack, Shingo and Sho, and then the whole story with um, uh, Osprey, uh, like kind of being in between a junior and a heavyweight is really interesting and kind of fascinating because I, I, they've never like pushed a junior in this way before. And they're also doing the same thing with Shingo, they're both going to be in G1. I know that hasn't happened yet, but it just speaks to how interesting the booking has been this year. Uh, and their match quality has been as good as it's ever been. And I just always laugh when I remember the people who were concerned about what New Japan was going to do once the Elite left. Uh, turns out they were going to continue to be awesome, as we all thought they would be. So uh, it's, for me, it's definitely New Japan. Paul, oh, what do you got here for best promotion? Uh, it's kind of the boring pick, but it's New Japan as well. I mean, look, I flew halfway around the world just because that promotion was having two events really close to each other. If that doesn't tell you how good they are, then I don't think anything really will. So, yeah, as, as it has been said before, they just had two tremendous tournaments with the New Japan Cup and the uh, Best of Super Juniors. Uh, they had just a bunch of really strong major shows just spread out all over the year and they simply have been the best promotion in the world all right skyler i think you're gonna break the street camera let's say pro wrestling noah uh one of like i have to say i'm an unabashed like noah fanboy it's just like it was like one of the promotions when i first started watching piero that i got really into the you know especially like the classic like 2000s stuff everyone loves and I don't know. I still just get that feeling watching it now. 
it still has like a lot of my favorite wrestlers, like Siguro being like one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Uh, Marafuji, who like I have a love-hate relationship with, randomly like showing up a lot this year and having like a lot of good matches. And Kaito Kiyomiya, who like I used to really hate his offense, is slowly improving. It's not weak as shit anymore, which is good. And, you know, Kano is still doing great. I just, you know, the junior division is really great right now. I just like, I'm sort of awestruck that they don't seem to get any buzz because, you know, unlike all Japan, their house shows don't make tapes. So you don't see any of the bad stuff. You only see the good stuff. And like pretty much all their Kurikans and all their big shows have all been, you know, really good or at least worth watching. And, you know, they've, they have some decent crowds going now and, yeah, I, I guess if you want to argue from a business perspective that they're somewhat stagnant, which is fine. But um, I don't know. I just consistently enjoy watching them more than anywhere else. I am really invested in all the wrestlers there. And, um, you know, fuck you, Kenta, traitor. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, Thomas, your pick for best promotion. My number one is going to be New Japan. This is the most I've been excited about New Japan in a long time heading into the G1. I thought the best of the Super Juniors was a really, really good tournament. Uh, and I think the match quality has been great. They've kind of won the match quality war so far this year, if only by attrition, by just putting out so many great matches. I don't think they peaked quite as high as All Japan for me, um, but they've put out like so many like very good to great matches. Uh, and this is the promotion that I'm like most excited about right now, which is why I ended up putting it as my number one, even though it was really close between New Japan, All Japan, and DDT. Uh, but yeah, with Kenta and you know Osprey and Shingo coming into the G1, just really hyped for that tournament. Oh, and Moxley, of course, too. Um, they're running a great angle with Robbie Eagles now, who I think is like a future star. Uh, so yeah, I think the booking in New Japan has been you know a lot better than it has. Uh, in recent years, and so I'm enjoying it a lot more uh, outside of the tag divisions, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, my number one is New Japan also, and this is the first time I can even remember having them half at the number one of the halfway point in many years. Um, I mean, this is the most I've enjoyed New Japan since probably 2015, maybe 2017. I mean, 2017 was a good year too, but it still had some stuff I didn't really like, whereas this year, I mean, Pretty much all the major stuff, other than, you know, a couple Okada defenses I've been really into. Um, the, you know, the the elite leaving was, you know, for some people was like, oh, well, will they be able to carry on? For me, it was like Mardi Gras. And I was very, very happy to see them go. And I was very sick of all, pretty much all of them, except for maybe Hangman Page. And I think, you know, the focus it's given on different people and some new people now you know, I, I, I th- thought it was like the best new beginning tour they've maybe they've ever done as far as like having exciting matches and feuds. You know, I loved all the, the Suzuki Goon LIJ stuff. You know, the best New Japan Cup I can remember it maybe ever, certainly in many years. Um, you know, the don't maybe the uh, the MSG show again had some bad stuff, but it was almost over of honor. Uh, the Duntaku tour wasn't great, but it never really is. So I can't really hold that one against them that badly. And it still had some really good stuff on it. And then the best of super juniors was awesome as it has been many for many years now. So, you know, an amazing final, a very good dominion. Uh, And again, I'm just very excited about the G1. Like this is the most excited I can remember being about a G1 going into it. 
you know, as far as like feeling like fresh talent and all that, as I can remember in many years. So definitely really enjoying New Japan right now. And I think clearing out a lot of the, you know, a lot of the upper carbon malaise really, really helped. And just not having anything like, like at this point last year, you know, we were in the middle of that fucking bullet club civil war feud, which was one of the worst things, honestly, as far as my own enjoyment, like anything in wrestling last year. So just having New Japan without that kind of anchor pulling it down has really just been very refreshing. John, can I just say one thing about that Bullet Club Civil War feud? Yeah. Uh, The Young Bucks showed more psychology in that match than they have in AEW so far, in that feud than they have in AEW so far. Yeah. I don't know. I just really fucking hate that entire feud. I don't know. But, just I, you know but no, I was, I was, no, but I was watching uh, like the that six man last night, and I'm like, the Golden Lovers Young Bucks match had like about like was m- better constructed, had more psychology with like you know Matt Jackson's back and everything than them just doing like the million flippy dudes that they're doing on like now and like the way that it was against the Lucha Brothers at Double or Nothing. So, yeah, I will be, I will be on. I mean, that was probably the best part of the feud i guess i mean i think that that was a match i did i did like so it pretty much wins by default but that was like very early on that was like march and then like everything after that like the kenny cody matches i thought were fucking horrendous both of them um you know i I gotta don't have to really get the whole thing but the you know it peaked that was like the peak of it and it was in march and that thing really went on for the rest of the year if you count the you know because first it's kenny cody and then it's bullet club you know elite versus ogs and that whole thing was just the worst, one of the worst things wrestling last year. So there's nothing like that in current New Japan for me. So, you know, New Japan is just my favorite promotion of the year so far. So that brings us to Best Feud. Number three for Best Feud, Gerard, what do you have here? Uh, LAX versus the Lucha Brothers from Impact. Um, just awesome, heated, crazy spot fests at the... Um... At, the, at their pay-per-view matches with like ladders and everything um that feuds that ended on the last pay-per-view and and it sounds like lax contracts are up and they're probably on their way to aew so maybe that feud will continue there but um just like a really awesome feud that because it was in impact uh which i would actually say was my second favorite weekly tv sh- uh show I would rate for that. Uh, just not a lot of people have seen it, but I would say go out and seek out the LAX versus Lucha Brother matches. All right. Lawson, your number three for best feared. Uh, yeah, I had Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. Um, I just love both of their matches a lot. That's, that's just straight up on match quality, really. I just love both of their matches. I had, um, had them at four and three quarters and five, respectively. All right. Paul, number three for best feared. Um, my number three for best feud is Ben K versus Red. Uh, it it's actually it's still an ongoing feud right now, but it has been tremendous so far since they've kicked him out. That really that's when Dragon Gate really kicked into another gear, and it just has been tremendously enjoyable since then, where he finally overcame Aether in the King of Gate final, and now he will finally get his revenge against Park at uh, Kobe World. All right. Skyler, number three, best feud. Uh, my number three is Strong Hearts versus DDT, which I think people have sort of forgotten about already because I guess it kicked off at the beginning of the year. But I love the way that it, um, you know, that sort of set up a lot of the stuff at Sumo Hall. Like, you know, a lot of the matches like sort of spilled out of the greater feud and they set up tags and they set up, you know, 
singles matches and you know it really felt like a true takeover in a sense um the only thing that's keeping it at three for me is that i did not love like the i didn't love the shima takashina match and i think that if that was like a super high-end match of the year contender that would be like a nice you know uh you know nice crown jewel and also you know who knows what is going to happen if this feud will ever continue or, you know, come back or, you know, what the strong hearts general status is, you know, but I, I, th- I think it, I think for, for the moment, it worked out super well and it gave us uh, a keto versus T Hawk, which is one of the best matches of the year. All right. Thomas, your number three, for of the year. My number three is going to be, uh, another DDT versus outside feud. It's going to be All Out versus Sendai Girls. Uh, they just had their, you know, All Out versus Sendai Girls show um, on June 24th, I guess earlier this week, which was a very good show. Top to bottom, they had four singles matches and then the six-man title match. Um, they also had another six-man title match back at, I think, maybe the March or April Corkin. Um, I think I preferred the one that took place this week a little bit more, but you also had Hashimoto and uh, Yuki Ino on the show, and Takashita and Satomura uh, had a very good match as well. So that's going to be my, my number three feud of the year. Well, this is easy because that's also my number three feud of the year. So oh, yeah. Pretty much everything Thomas just said. It was a really awesome feud, a really unique feud. And I think, you know, for some of the, the beating that intergender has taken some circles, I think it was like one of the better intergender wrestling feuds in a while. So. That's my number three, All Out versus Sendai Girls. All right, number two, best feud of the year. Go ahead, Gerard. What do you got? I, I hope this isn't like cheating or fudging it, but like number two feud, All Japan versus Big Japan. Like mm-hmm. almost every match of an All Japan versus a Big Japan guy this year has been pretty awesome. Uh, from uh, the strong DJ versus Violent Giants to that awesome match in Big Japan with Jake Lee and Iwamoto versus uh, Kakuda and Kawakami for the All-Asia Tag Titles to Okabayashi's run in the Champion Carnival. I just, And, like, it's also funny when, like, Great Kojika is in All Japan and he, like, brings that chair and sits right by ringside uh, when he watches the matches. Um, yeah, so, like, every matching that feud is delivered and i think it's just a great interpromotional uh feud all right uh lawson give me your number three best or number two best feud of the year uh show versus shingo um only one singles match but a couple tags as well and i really enjoyed um the tag uh the tag matches in terms of match quality and the singles match was uh i mean it was an excellent match but it really is more about the story that they were telling and I'm just really excited for uh, what the future of that uh, feud is going to be. But they laid all the groundwork here pretty perfectly. And um, so my number two, yeah, show versus Shingo. All right. Paul, give me your number two feud of the year. So just like my number three feud of the year, my number two feud of the year is an ongoing feud. It's David Starr versus Jordan Devlin in OTT. And it really has been building for the entire year where at first, Star turned on Devlin at the start of the year and then it's just been building and building over all of the big shows that OTT has had where they already have had a singles match but right now OTT is clearly building towards a Star versus Devlin title match and the atmosphere for that match is going to be off the charts 
David Starr is simply one of the best promos in wrestling, and he really builds that feud to such perfection. All of the video packages have just been amazing. All right. Skylar, your number two feud of the year. The number two feud is uh, Show versus Shingo. I think that, you know, despite the only the one singles match, that was really, really good. Um, I think that just the way they've built tags around it this year, how like their interactions have been the highlight of like every single tag that they have against each other, you know, it really makes those worth watching. And so it does, you know, it caused me to do something I rarely do, which is go and watch New Japan undercard tags. And yeah, I think that obviously there's probably more to come. There will probably be something else down the line um, at some point. You know, whether that's some sort of junior versus heavy feud or Shingo coming back to juniors, whatever it is, you know, it can't be over because, you know, it, it feels like this has to end with like some dramatic show triumphing over Shingo and can't wait for that. So, All right. Thomas, your number two feud of the year. My number two is maybe a little bit convoluted, but it's kind of the next stream explosion slash next stream versus sweeper feud uh, in all Japan, which started last year. I think it was last year when Jake Lee left next stream um, to form sweeper, the new faction. And then uh, earlier this year, you have Nao and Nomura and uh, Aoagi vacating the all Asia tag titles and Nomura like turning his back on his partner, um, even though he's like sort of still a face to, you know, challenge Kento Miyahara for the Triple Crown. And then he, you know, goes and joins Lee and Sweeper. And Lee has that great match with Miyahara in the Carnival Finals. And then just this morning, Nomura and Lee, like, finally, they've been, like, sort of teaming together tentatively. And then this this morning, actually, they, you know, kind of finally reunited and said, we're going to go after the tag titles. So that sort of whole story and, like, Aoagi's sort of rise, because I've been a big Aoagi fan for a while. And then Nomura and Lee kind of going off on their own and having great matches with Kento this year. Now, that's kind of my number two feud of the year. Plus some great tags, like especially the past few months between the two teams. So, yeah. All right. Uh, my number two feud of the year is also an ongoing feud. It's Tokyo Cyber Squad versus Queen's Quest and Stardom. Um, even though this have, this isn't really a match quality vote, I don't think it's produced like a super high-end match yet. But it's as far as like a vote that, of like a feud I've really, really enjoyed you know, both from the formation of Tokyo Cyber Squad, Konami being, like, very angry at Queen's Quest and how her whole run there went down. Um, it's been a very, like, memeable feud, which, you know, some people might have as a good or a bad thing. But it's, like, as far as a feud I've enjoyed, you know, the interviews from, following on Twitter, you know, watching undercard tags, this has been the, the one for me. And I think they still have some better matches in them. You know, especially if we get like more like Konami versus Queen's Quest singles matches. So that's my number two pick Tokyo Cyber Squad versus Queen's Quest. All right, number one, feud of the year. Give me your pick here, Gerard. Uh, my feud of the year is might be over, although we might be revisiting it very soon. It's uh, Ibushi versus Naito. Um, just three incredible matches. Uh, my feeling on the Dominion match is pretty much the way you feel, John. You know, this is pro wrestling. It happens, that kind of thing. Um, and I and I include what I think Thomas mentioned earlier. There's the six man, eight man tags that they had on. It was the Don Taku tour. Those are all like awesome and above average for the New Japan multi man tags. 
Um, the only sticking point I have in this feud is whether or not I want to pencil them both in against each other at the finals of the G1. Yeah. I mean, they could, they could very well be the G1 final. Lawson, what's your number one feud of the year so far? So if Sho and Shingo was a feud about laying the groundwork and building anticipation for uh, conclusion, uh, for me, my number one feud of the year is Jordan Devlin versus Walter. Even though the feud began uh, last year uh, and it's ended a, a few months ago now, uh, this was the dramatic, satisfying conclusion of the smaller baby face finally vanquishing the invading uh, big bully heel that was Walter. And the match was pretty uh, pretty epic, too. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, my number one feud of the year. All right. Paul, best feud? So, best feud of the year for me is Naito versus Ibushi. As Rod said, it, you just had three tremendous matches so far, and we might revisit it later in the year. And I'm actually having the weekly pro wrestling in front of me right now, where uh, that came out around the time of Dominion with the Ibushi bump, and yeah, they clearly didn't intend it to go this way, and but I mean, just but this really one bad botch cannot ruin what has been three tremendous matches so far this year, and it just simply has been the best feud of the year. All right, um, give me your feud of the year, Skyler. Uh, my feud of the year, spelling out from my promotion of the year, is Kaito Kiyomiya versus uh, Kano. I think the uh, the way that they built the feud over the year. I mean, obviously, it's been, it seems like they're almost like generational rivals in a way, uh, because last year they had a lot of, you know, interactions. But I think this year, you know, starting with the title match and then going through the tag league where they teamed up together and then, you know, coming back and doing like another match. I just, I love all their matches together. I love the dynamic between this like young ace who is still trying to prove himself and, you know, Kano is part of this generation who felt like they were passed over. And I think Kano as a heel is like one of my favorite acts in wrestling. I've loved him ever since he turned heel. And, uh, you know, I, I think that this is, if this is like the last stand of Kano and his generation and, you know, they're going to move on and, you know, maybe go back to Nakajima or something like that, then I think it's pretty fitting to have like this whole year dedicated to, uh, dedicated to him trying to end Kiyomiya's run. And, you know, it's awesome. I really hope that's the sumo hall match. You know, I hope they don't go back to like Marifuji or something. Yeah, that's, I, I think that'd be awesome. I mean, not, not that Marifuji wouldn't be cool. And I'm sure, you know, with him, with his drawing record, especially recently, you know, I'm sure they want to really fill up sumo hall, but it'd be awesome if they were able to you know, take this rivalry that people have been saying business has been going stagnant and then do something a little bit, um, you know, bring back someone who people thought failed and, you know, like really knock it out of the park. All right. Uh, number one best feud. Go ahead, Thomas. Yeah, this probably won't come as a surprise, but it's going to be Naito and Ibushi for me. It's probably one of my favorite feuds of all time. I've given them five stars together three different times, which I think, I mean, probably maybe only two other feuds I think I've ever done that for, um, off the top of my head at least. So, yeah, I mean, incredible feud, plus all of the, you know, undercard tags that Gerard was talking about earlier. Uh, and, yeah, great feud. Uh, 
only went five on one of the matches this year. Um, but even then, I mean, the other two matches were both great. So, yeah. All right. And my number one feeling is also Night Dorbushi. Probably not surprising, but I thought it was in three incredible matches. I really liked a lot of the promos, too. I liked the whole thing they had going, especially in the build to the last one with Abushi being like, you know, why can't you just be satisfied with the Intercontinental title? You know, you know I'm the only one who's actually trying to make this title mean something, and Naito just wants it for his, you know, very egotistical quest to win both belts. So I really like that whole dynamic. I thought it made Abushi come off, you know, sympathetic, and it made Naito look like kind of a jerk, which is good because, you know, he was the heel in the feud. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a really, really cool feud. And, you know, I thought both, both guys played the role really well and they just had some incredible matches. So what else is there to say, really? All right. John, as the, wait, John, I guess I'm in. As the, uh, as the premier Naito fan, do you think Ibushi is his best opponent? Uh, it's a good question. I would say maybe I, I would have Tanahashi and Omega up there too. Um, I mean, those are the first three that come to mind. But, you know, I think, you know, yeah, I think it's very close. I think probably, probably yes, but I definitely have those two up there as well. Okay, so that moves us on to, let's do best tag team match. We'll save match of the year. So best tag team, number three for best tag team. Go ahead, Gerard. Um, I mentioned them earlier, LAX and Impact. Um just awesome year so far i think more so than any other team they might be holding together single-handedly holding together the tag division in their company because there's no one holding together the tag division in new japan um and um they probably are going to be going to AEW soon so they might even have an even bigger uh, second half of um 2019 but just uh incredible spot fast guys uh lots of charisma um and um yeah just jumped out at me and i i didn't even they weren't really even on my radar even a eh, maybe they were they just got on my radar a year ago but they quickly became one of my favorite tag teams all right and give your number three best tag team lawson i also went with lax uh they are the reason i pretty much ever watch impact maybe them and tessa blanchard uh but mostly lax uh, and their feud, with the, their feud with the Lucha Brothers, even though it didn't make my top three, uh, was pretty awesome. And I, I even will like tune into PWG just to watch them if they're on there. Uh, they're pretty much a draw for me anywhere. I literally bought tickets to see them once, and then they got dropped from a show, so that wasn't great. But uh, yeah, LAX for me. All right. Uh, what do you have here, Paul, for number three best tag team? Uh, my number three best tag team is Strong BJ. It's maybe they don't kind of have that many matches together so far this year, but I think when they have teamed together, their matches have been pretty tremendous. And they really had a very good kind of couple of matches with the Violent Giants. So I think that alone kind of gets into the number three spot for me. All right. Uh, Skylar, what do you have here for best tag team number three? Skylar? Oh, did we lose Skylar? He's uh, not getting audio. Oh, he's not getting audio. Okay. Uh, Thomas, go ahead with number three. All right. My number three is somewhat of a cheat. I'm going to go uh, with a six-man team. 
or I guess a team that participates in six-man matches, um, I'm going to go with the all-out trio of Konosuke Takashita, uh, Yuki Ino, and Akito. Um, they've had some, you know, tremendous matches this year. We already talked about the two uh, matches against the Sendai Girls team, and then Skylar talked about the Strong Hearts match, which was on the January 3rd show, which I loved as well. Uh, and they also had, you know, a really great uh, six-man match against Disaster Box, which... It was, I think it was on a house show, uh, you know, I think it was in here. I can, I mean, <laughs> this is some great audio here. Uh, it was on March 2nd against Hiroshima, Yoshimura, and Yuki Ueno. Uh, that's a match I don't think has gotten enough buzz. I went four and a quarter on it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with the all-out sort of six-man teams, and they've kind of reinvigorated the, the KOD six-man tag titles. Uh, okay. And now, Skylar, we can go back to you here. Number two, or number three, best tag team. Okay, my number three is uh, Violent Giants. Uh, I think that they I think that they've produced, you know, obviously they haven't, it's not like they've made tape a ton, but I sort of also count when they team up in, like, the big multi-man tags and stuff like that, because I think they've done a really good job this year of, uh, you know, producing every time out against Strong BJ, uh, I think both guys feel I, I like just love the chemistry of their team together. You know, they feel like hosses and they feel like singles wrestlers who have teamed up to do something that's like truly extraordinary. You know, they really do feel like the Japanese, like a, a mega powers type team. So I just like love the feel of them. I love their entrance. Like they just, yeah, even though they don't quite have like the super lengthy in ring resume, that you'd want with a lot of depth and different types of matches and stuff, because that's just not how all Japan has been booking. Uh, yeah, I still think they're pretty worthy of a top spot here. All right. And now for my number three best tag team, I have Strong BJ. I, I think it was a very weak year for tag teams. I had a lot of trouble figuring out what teams I wanted to put here. So, you know, Strong BJ had some amazing tag matches with another team on my list. So... Which I guess should be very obvious, but I just put them three because at least the number two team, uh, you know, has a couple other matches I liked. So number three, strong BJ, Sekimoto and Okabayashi. Uh, Gerard, give me your number two for best tag team. Uh, Lucha Brothers. Uh, I actually bracket that with their uh, AEW work because I, that's not what made it for me. It was their work on Impact and on MLW Fusion and on the Indies. Um, just you know i mean pretty consistent lots of fun it hasn't i mean i know there's people already saying that they're starting to wear thin and i get that but at the same time it hasn't been like the the biggest year for tag team wrestling as you said so you know i'm gonna go with butcher brothers at number two all right uh give me your number two lawson i uh actually have repungi 3k as my number two um yeah, I also struggle with this list in general. I, uh, but I did. I have enjoyed Rapungi 3K, especially that main event match they had with um, Bushi and Shingo, uh, and uh, yeah, I just have enjoyed their work uh, overall. So, yeah, Rapungi 3K. All number two for best tag team. Yeah, so I'm going to cheat a little bit as well for my number two, and my number two is Stronghearts. Uh, they haven't really been like, well, it's not a classical two and two tag team, but if uh, counting six man tag teams as well, they have been having great matches everywhere they went. 
And in this case, I'm specifically talking about the formation of uh, Shima, T-Hawk, and Lindemann. And they have been having great matches in DDT, WrestleVon, and in AEW as well. And then they also had that great uh, six-man tag match on the J-State show. So I think if we can count six, uh, if we can count uh, Freeman teams, then I will definitely vote for Strong Hearts. All right, Skylar, you're number two tag team of the year. I am a known cheater because I love including different factions and trios in this. And luckily, someone already did it for me because Strong Hearts is my number two tag team of the year. Um, yeah, no matter really the combination, I think they've done a really good job this year of you know really nailing down like a firm identity of what type of matches they have um i think people just look at them and think like oh yeah these, these are the acrobats like these are the owe guys like but in reality like they don't usually they really don't work like that um you know i think uh, see like they are they can be really physical and they can do crazy moves and they can go a mile a minute but they also do a really good job of just like beating people down and doing heel work and you know i think that they also have just a breadth of work, you know, different promotions, different types of matches, different formulations, and uh, I've enjoyed basically all of them. All right. Thomas, number two, best tag team. I'm going to go with a team that's from a promotion that I think is, you know, very underrated this year. I'm going to go with Axis from Noah, Katsuka Nakajima, and Goshiozaki. Uh, they've been great. The, the Noah Global Tag League, I think, was a super underrated tournament. Um, a lot of the matches got put up on YouTube, um, so it was a lot more complete than a normal NOAA tournament. And Axis was by far the stars of that tournament, uh, especially their final match against Takashi Sugiura and Kazuma Sakamoto, plus their eventual title match against those two. Uh, and I believe they're going to have a third match with those two. That's going to make tape in about a week. So, yeah, they're going to be my number two. They were my number one up until this morning. I changed it at the last minute, but, yeah. Also, some great work in six mans. Noah's been main eventing Corkins with six mans sometimes, and uh, access is always a big, you know, key piece in those. All right, uh, my number two, I went with uh, Violence Giants. Again, I just had them slightly above Strong BJ, but pretty much showing they have those two teams. Gerard, give me your number one pick for best tag team so far. Uh, Violence Giants, uh, just a really great run this year. Uh, like today on the Today All Japan Corican show, they carried uh, Pero and Odinson to what I thought was a four-star match. And those guys, you know, they can do some big moves, but they're not the greatest wrestlers. But I just thought it built into something awesome with all these just big power moves and then just hitting each other really hard. Um, they had great matches this year against uh, Doring and Dylan James. And against Strong BGA again, if I had one criticism of them, I would say that their first matches with each team are always better than the rematches. I thought Strong BJ versus um, Violence Giants the first time in February was better than their subsequent rematch later on. Likewise, I thought um, the first time they faced uh, Doring and James was better than the time they just faced them last uh, earlier this month but other than that just incredible and you know it's usually Suwama and Ishikawa and like teaming with like uh, Hikaru Sato or Yusuke Okada in the main events of the All Japan like sort of spot shows and always the main events deliver even if the undercards are boring sometimes so just absolutely the best team in the world as far as I'm concerned 
All right. Uh, number one, uh, number one best tag team of the year, Lawson. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, for me, I went with the Lucha Brothers. Uh, they, uh, I had to get Phoenix in here somehow. I just think Phoenix is incredible as a worker. And uh, Pentagon uh, complements him very well as a team. Uh, not only their work in, I mean, they work in AEW. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty much just the stuff that they do. But they're, they're, the few with LAX really is what put it over, puts it over for me. They did some really inventive stuff, inventive stuff together. And uh, that's why they're my number one. All right. Paul, number one. Yeah, so my favorite team or my best team of the year is also the Violent Giants. It's just like last year, by the way, also my favorite team. They're just doing it again. They're just carrying on like they did last year. No one, I just need to echo really what Gerard said as well, is no one is really better than them at just delivering a proper beatdown. They just destroy their opponents while still managing kind of to make them look strong at the same time, which is quite the achievement. And really today's match they had with the end just really again cemented them as the best tag team in the world for me. All right. Skyler, number one best tag team. Uh, I almost did Rattel's here, just but I thought it was cheating a little too much because I love all the combinations of their team. And now, of course, you know, they have two separate tag teams. They're both awesome. But I think I was just blinded because I think Yohei is going to be like one of the best junior wrestlers in Japan. Uh, so Axis is my number one. Um, I love, I, I think Go, Go and Mayor Fuji this year, Noah, have just both stepped it up in lots of times where they would probably coast in recent years. And this has been like a really great use of Go because he's able to, you know, not have to control or dominate entire match but he can come in and do like his big lariats and all of his cool stuff and uh you know nakajima can carry the match and you know nakajima of course is one of the guys that carry match with personality with strikes you know he can sell like and i just think it's a, a really perfect match together and you know i think like uh thomas was saying they just yeah, have been involved in lots of main events, and the tag tournament was awesome. And they've just oh, Scott, you suddenly went. I think it's number one. Oh, okay. You see, you, you went like dead there for a little while. So, oh, well, they're good. That's all you need to know. <laughs> okay, Thomas, you're at number one <laughs> best tag team. Yeah, uh, this has been kind of a weak category all year. Um, it's been an up and down, I guess. Uh, once you kind of dig into it, like I think I thought it was a lot weaker than it was. Like after watching the Noah Tag League, um, I started to get a lot more positive on the year for tag teams. Um, hence my love for Axis. But uh, at the last minute, you know, this morning I decided to put the Violence Giants up into the number one spot. You know, four star match out of the end, which I mean, you know, they haven't been great in the past in all Japan. Uh, been a great performance. Obviously, this has been mentioned. You know a dozen times at this point, but the uh, strong BJ matches in January and February, and then also their uh, matches against uh, Doring's team. Uh, they had one in January and one recently uh, in June, which I think were both not, you know, quite at the level of the uh, strong BJ matches, but like three and three quarter to four star range um, about at the level of the end matches today. So yeah, they're my number one tag team of the year. Always great in the main events, you know, put in a, Good effort every night. Uh, 
when you have two of the like 10 best wrestlers in the world in a team, like that's the result that you're going to get. My number one best tag team is Mizuki and Yuka Sakazaki from Tokyo Joshi Pro. I think their title reign, which started last August, has been was the, was the best thing about Tokyo Joshi in the first half of the year by far. You know, had a great a bunch of great tag title matches first with Riho and Shoko Nakajima at Karkin Hall uh, with the Muscle JK Strikers, uh, Marika Kobashi and Reika Saiki. Um, that's, that's another one I forgot to mention, by the way, when I talked about people who were leaving because it looks like Marika Kobashi's done for a while at least and she was really one, one of my favorites there. But, um, you know, another pretty good one with Yuki Kamifuku and Yuna Manase. Another awesome match with Akari Noah and that's to be Maki at Korokin. And then their weakest title match part of the match where they lost the titles to Neo Bishiki Gun at Shinkiba. But, you know, I think they're just a, a really great tag team. They probably have no chance of winning this because it looks like they're pretty much done now. They lost the titles. But, you know, who knows? But as far as the first half goes, they're they're my easy pick here. Alright, so we only got two categories left here, so let's start with match of the year. Number three, match of the year so far. Give it to me, Gerard. Uh, number three is Kento Miyahara versus Jake Lee, the champion carnival finals. I just thought this was an incredible match. The best match of Jake Lee's career. Uh, I was shocked that I loved this match as much as I, I did even because I'm actually like a much bigger fan of Nomura than I am Lee. But yet I thought this was better than the Lee versus, or the, sorry, the uh, Miyahara versus Nomura triple crown match from March. Um, it was just like, they they just kept up an incredible pace right out of the gate, and I thought the ending was a lot more dramatic than I think almost every other Miyahara match I've seen this this year. So like you know after like it was one of those I was literally standing up and pacing uh, towards the end of the match because I stayed up to watch it live. It's just awesome. All right, Lawson number three match of the year. Arisa Hoshiki versus Tom Nakano. Stardom 616 for the white belt. I can't believe how good this match was. Uh, this I've given like four matches five stars this year. This is one of them. And uh, I I knew I've always liked Tam. And I've always thought she had a lot of potential. But she was on another level in this match. This was uh, extremely violent. I mean, maybe not extremely, but the violence was like kicked up a notch. And uh, it was worked at a very fast pace. And um, yeah, I... This is only the second uh, Arisa match I've ever seen. And the other one really didn't impress me that much was the match where she won the title for Momo. Uh, but this was uh, this was uh, incredible. All right. Paul, give me your number three match of the year so far. Uh, my number three is uh, for the Super Asia title, Riho versus Mesa Ruga from the Gato Move show on the 4th of June. And that was just an absolutely tremendous match. So one of my goals kind of for the entire Japan trip was to get more into Joshi wrestling because previously I just hadn't really watched it all that much. And this match has definitely helped me uh, achieve that. It's both of both the women in the match were just absolutely tremendous. And uh, Rio and May are really only removed from each other by two years, where Riho is 22 and May is 20. But experience-wise, the golf is just insane. It's Rio is a 13-year uh, a veteran. 13-year, yeah. Yeah, 13-year veteran at 22 years old again. 
and uh, May, on the other hand, is just one year in, so she's actually still a rookie, and she is just already has developed tremendously and is just amazing at at selling, and she has great offense as well, and it's amazing on the comeback as well. So that match was just simply one of the best I saw in trip, and it was one of the best matches I've seen all year. Now this being got to move, of course. Unfortunately, this match is not really available to watch anywhere yet. So you really could have only seen it if you've been there live. And again, it's got to move. So they might upload that match tomorrow for everyone to see on the YouTube channel. Or they might only upload that match in five years. So we'll see when people will finally get to see it. But when it finally will come out, you should definitely watch it. Yeah, I can definitely hear here because I was in the building for that too. And it was an amazing match. Skylar, your number three match of the year so far. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but it's Metallico versus Virus. Uh, loser must retire match. Uh, just a very, you know, in the Lucha style, like a very emotional, a very hot crowd. Like Metallico gets to really bust out like everything he has because it's, it was pretty obvious even going into it. Like Virus is like a push commodity, or not really a push commodity in CMLL, but, you know, he occupies a firm spot on the card, whereas Metallico pretty much just sings and dances and cosplays as like this old Mexican actor. So it was pretty obvious that he was going to lose, but the atmosphere was awesome. And the work was really good. Of course, like, you know, they're luchadors that age so they can work until they're 500 years old. And I think if you're invested in the story, it helps a lot if you're invested in, you know, the wrestlers involved. But I think watching like unspoiled and really like, Virus is one of my favorite wrestlers and seeing that he could retire and having some near falls that really got me. It was just an awesome experience. And I think in terms of, you know, Lucha representatives, especially from CMLL, I think it will be like a match of the year. The match of the year list that a lot of like Lucha nerds get behind. All right. Thomas, number three match of the year so far. Uh, For me, my number three is Ibushi versus Naito from March 10th. Um, I think it's kind of an unpopular take to have this as my favorite of the three Ibushi Naito matches this year, uh, but I loved it. The callbacks to the two previous G1 matches, and uh, I think, you know, I love this the other two matches this year, but having three in that sort of time frame, you know, I think could have hurt it a little bit, the, the latter two matches, um, just because, I mean, I'd seen it three times at that point in the span of like four months or three months, uh, but... The first one from this year, an incredible match. And, uh, I mean, the near falls in this match were incredible. I mean, if that's kind of what you like out of your wrestling is like, you know, spots and near falls, I mean, this is kind of your type of match. This is about as good as that type of match can get to me. All right. And the story as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. My number three match of the year was a little bit of a controversial pick um, as far as I know. A lot of people really hate this match, but – the New Japan Cup final, Okada versus Sonata from March 24th in New Japan. Uh, mm-hmm. It was one of several matches I gave four and three quarters to, but I think it's my favorite of those. Um, so so the, the thing about Okada, he's he's having a weird year for me where I either really love his matches or I really am not into them at all. And this was one of the ones that I really loved versus a few of them that I was not into at all. I thought he had an awesome New Japan Cup run. Pretty much all of his, all my favorite Okada matches this year come from the New Japan Cup. With the Ishii match was really good, the Osprey match, and then this one. Um, you know, I, I, Okada and Sonata, I just thought, as far as like the typical Okada big match style, I thought this was 
like the best possible version of that where the opening like 10 15 minutes really was not boring at all i thought the you know the matt wrestling stuff was actually interesting for once um i thought sonata really held his own and looked good uh and then the closing stretch which you know had has one like spot that people made fun of a lot in gifts which is like that backslide counter but i thought that was a little bit unfair i thought the rest of the the closing stretch was really really awesome I don't think one slightly looking awkward, slightly awkward looking counter uh, takes away from that at all. So I just thought I thought this was like as good of a thirty minute plus like big Okada match as you can get. Um, you know, I understand why some people don't. You know, I, I mean, I'm a little sick of that style of match to be honest. But like, I thought this was like the best version of it, and way better than their their title match at Dontaki, which I thought was very disappointing. All right, so number two, match of the year so far this year. Gerard, go ahead. Uh, Kento Miyahara versus Kai from January 3rd. Uh, just an inc- incredible match. It was like one of the first matches I saw this year, and it just like has stuck in my head. Um, it's an incredible uh, like uh, success for Miyahara that like two of his best matches this year are happen to be the best matches for those wrestlers with, with uh, like Lee and Kai pulling them to their best matches. And I ranted about this before on last time I was on Omakaze on the champion carnival episode, but that image of Kai kicking at uh, Miyahara's legs as Miyahara is lifting him up for the shutdown German suplex is like my moment of the year in wrestling, just an absolutely incredible match. And I think it was one of the matches that got uh, Miyahara a lot of attention because Meltzer was there live and started raving about it and so it's just been a huge year for Miyahara since then all right Lawson your number two match of the year so far yeah I have uh, Kenny Omega versus Shoji Tanahashi from Wrestle Kingdom uh this was one of my favorite matches uh of all time I went the full five on it and I knew it immediately when it was over uh besides uh the callback to like other uh matches like the dragon uh suplex off the top although it was done much safer it was also just like um the like the the New Japan always gets a lot of uh uh credit and or slack for its closing stretches but uh this one was like really uh on another level I thought and the image that I always remember from this is um the high five flow that Tanahashi goes for and Omega gets his knees up feels like it should have been too late he gets them up at the very last moment uh and it just uh yeah it was just really uh Really excellent, worthy uh, main event of uh, the big show. All right. Uh, Paul, give me your number two match of the year for 2019. Yeah, so my number two is Walter versus George Devlin from Scrapper Mania 5 on the 16th of March from OTT. And that match was the blow-off to a really nearly perfectly built feud between the two. And finally, Jordan Devlin managed to overcome Walter and beat him for the title. And I was there live for the match as well, which probably helped as well. And it was just an amazing atmosphere and really that pop when Jordan finally got Walter up for the package pile driver, put him down and pinned him for the one, two, three was just it was molten within the arena, and it was just an amazing atmosphere that I probably will never forget. All right, Skylar, your number two match of the year so far. Uh, my number two match of the year is Jimmy Lloyd versus uh, Takeda from Spring Break, Joe Janela Spring Break Part 2. I believe it was Part 2. 
Um, awesome, awesome death match. Uh, this was like the first year that, you know, Spring Break could really do like the super violent death matches. Um, I guess really, you know, leaned into that in a respect. And um, I think this is Takeda's easily his best match on U.S. soil. And it has some truly, truly, truly insane spots. Um, I think most notable, the one that I think is gift a lot is a scissor board going into Jimmy Lloyd's like throat. And then he pulls the scissors like out of his neck. And it was probably the closest I thought, you know, during wrestling match that someone was actually like dying in front of my eyes because it looks like super heinous. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's awesome. It's paced perfectly. It's, you know, not a super main event style match. It's more of a sprint. And um, I don't know. It was awesome. Takeda working that type of match during this little like mania excursion, I think was really suited to his talents, working these super action packed, you know, matches with blood and lots of action and stuff and um i don't know i think this match really proved that jimmy lloyd is a guy you know a lot of people have made fun of him because he's like this little fat kid or whatever but uh he's he's super good he is like he's the guy who's gonna take the reins from janella and be like the scumbag like you know shindy guy who works death matches and bleeds all the time and um i don't know he's awesome and i'm really excited for him to get you know to sort of be like one of the bigger stars in the Northeast after uh, Janelle goes to AEW. All right. Thomas, your number two match of the year so far. Uh, number two for me is going to be Shingo Takagi versus Will Ospreay from the Best of the Super Juniors final on June 5th. Um, it's just such a cool moment seeing, you know, the juniors, uh, you know, main event, uh, Sumo Hall, um, it was just a great back and forth match. I mean, counter wrestling, if that's like sort of the thing that you like, there was a ton of that in this match. There were a few spots that were like a little bit shaky, but I don't really, that sort of thing doesn't bother me as much as it does some other people, although I can completely understand if it does for you. Uh, yeah, like legitimately one of my favorite matches ever. And I'm, I went five stars on it. So yeah, great match. Uh, so my number two match of the year so far is Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito for the IWGP Intercontinental title at Dominion. Uh, I won five stars on it. One of two matches I won five stars on. Um, first of all, I talked a lot about last week, you know, last on the last episode of Omikaze, how overblown I thought the the crazy discussion around this and the danger was and how, like, I think it's become a double standard versus other wrestlers in New Japan. So I won't go into all that again. But if you if you want to hear my thoughts on that, listen to the part two of episode one hundred and one. All I will say on the match itself is, you know, I thought it was an, it was already an incredible match that was building really well. I thought the early portion of the match was way more, not way, maybe not way more, but more interesting. The early portion of either of the first two matches, which helps elevate it. And you know, sometimes things happen in pro wrestling matches that are not intended to, you know, that that were not intended that I guess were technically a botch, but that make the match more compelling. And, you know, as dangerous as it was, Ibushi getting brained on the ger- on the apron off the German did make the rest of the match more compelling as far as, like, once it was clear that this man wasn't fucking dead, the fact that they continued on doing all these incredible spots and did all these... Ma- I mean, it just made the entire thing, you know, up a, up a certain level of intensity, you know, knowing what Ibushi had just gone through. So, you know, it's pro wrestling, it's very dangerous, and... I'm not going to sit here and deny this match was not incredible, but it was just because, you know, they botched a spot on the apron. So, Bushi and Naito, five-star match, incredible match. That's my number two. 
Gerard, give me your number one match of the year so far for 2019. Uh, Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi at Best of the Super Junior. It's the only match I've given five stars to this year so far. It was a match where I just felt as soon as I saw it, I didn't have to say, oh, is this four and three quarters or five? It was a clear five, um, you know, a, a, a historic match letting the juniors obviously main event in sumo hall again because it's been a long time since they had main evented in a building that large um and just you know i don't i don't know what else to say so much has been said about that match but just an incredible moment and uh, will it get topped it's hard to say but if anything's going to top it it will be something in the g1 this year i think yeah probably lawson give me your five star oh sorry we used to talk to I think, uh, I think no, I kinda, I'm good. Oh, okay, I think I kind of froze on me. Lawson, give me your num- number two match of the year so far. But number one, we're up to now, right? No, this is number two. Oh, you're right. We're on number one. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> you're number one match of the year. I could have sworn I already talked about this. No, uh, yeah, so my number one is uh, Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano from uh, TakeOver uh, New uh, Wait, TakeOver. Wait, hold on. Sorry, take over twenty. Wait, take over twenty-five. Sorry, that's, I get confused. Uh, so yeah, so that's the the sequel, the second one. Uh, I just went into this going. I was the first match they had was two to three falls, uh, and they just did so much in that, all the big near falls and all that. And I was just convinced they couldn't possibly follow it, or I didn't even know what they could possibly do in this match. And I feel like this was just one of the best like technical matches I've ever seen in terms of not just the psychology in it, but also um, the constant teases of uh, Cole going for the destroyer. And they kept building and building until eventually they paid it off with him giving a Gargano destroyer on the floor. So, um, and so they just maximized everything in their arsenal, even like things like the super kick, which can feel really overused. Uh, They really, these two guys perfected that double super kick spot, which I saw, I've seen it in the Indies, a million people try to do the, the double super kick and it, Never looks as good as they wanted to, but here they actually like connected to the backs of each other's heads perfectly, and um, yeah, even things like uh, Cole pretending that his goons were going to interfere, I thought was really uh, a new and fresh take on like heel tactics. Um, and uh, I know some people didn't love like all the stuff with the ref bump at the end, but that really, I I really could easily forgive that when everything else in this match, I just. Really enjoyed. Uh, so that's my number one. All right. Uh, give me your number one match of the year so far, Paul. My number one match is Shingo versus Osprey from the Best of the Super Juniors final. It was just an absolutely all-around amazing match. It's another match that I actually was there live for it. And I just got sucked into the match completely. It's I kind of had a feeling that Osprey was going to win before the match, but I just got sucked in completely and I popped for like nearly every single near fall. It's they just had me a couple of times where I was convinced it was the finish. And it just with every single kick out it just built and built perfectly until Osprey finally managed to get the win and it was just a tremendous match and the perfect way to end Shingo's undefeated streak. All right. Uh give me your number one match of the year so far, Skyler. Uh, my number one match is Mako Satomura versus Sari. Sorry if I don't really know how to pronounce her name. I don't watch that much Sendai Girls, but 
you know, I was trying to do some research. I saw, John, that you gave this the full five. Uh, and it's the only match that I gave four and three quarters this year so far. It's just, I mean, it's awesome. It's so, you know, for like a match of the year style match, I I think sometimes people get caught up in like the main event style, like the very dramatic stories that they're like super invested in. Not that there wasn't a story behind this match, but, um, you know, I, I don't think it, it didn't have to feel like a main event match. It didn't have to go 30 minutes. It was just super action packed and just had like lots and lots of drama and, you know, lots and lots of just like screaming and crazy moves and crazy sequences and stuff. And, um, you know, I know Mako Sotomara probably just wants to, you know, hang out on her farm all day and stuff, but really hope that she continues wrestling as she gets older because she can still just like, she can go any night she wants. It's nuts. All right. Uh, give me your number one match of the year so far, Thomas. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of different things that people can want out of wrestling, like in terms of how you do star ratings and everything. Um, but I don't feel like it kind of has to be like a sort of main event style match. Like, I've gone over four stars on, like, DDT comedy matches this year or, like, um, that match in the Best of the Super Juniors that was, like, three minutes long and ended in a countout just because, like, of how fun it was. Um and that kind of leads me to my number one match of the year, which is also Miko Satomura versus Suri um, from Sendai Girls, April 16th. Um, it wasn't your traditional, like you, you've got the closing stretch and, you know, you're trading kickouts, that sort of deal. Um, but it was perfect for the story it wanted to tell. I mean, you hear that you hear that phrase a lot um, for matches that people don't go five stars on. Um, and I went five stars on this um, one of just three matches I went five stars on this year so far. Um but it was literally perfect for the story it wanted to tell. Um, ended, you know, the right result in the end, I would say. Um, you know, a star-making performance for Sari, who I think she's been hanging out on Diana for a while and other smaller Joshi promotions for the past uh, 12 months or so. And so it was like kind of her breakout moment and uh, one of the most fun matches I've ever seen in, you know, like 15 minutes, I think it was, like around there. I think it was sub-20 for sure like just randomly in the middle of a Sendai Girls show, and it's just, you know, a great match. Uh, so I also have Mako Sadamura versus Suri as my match of the year. Didn't expect this to get a streak going, but that's how it worked out, I guess. Uh, yes, it was a five-star match for me. I, I mean, as far as everything else the, the two of them just said, I mean, the match just fucking owns. I mean, you know, the story's great. I mean, the story is obviously there, but they just fucking kill each other. They kick each other very hard. They drop each other on their fucking heads. I mean, you know, I don't want to be like, um, I mean, this is the kind of match that made me fall in love with Japanese wrestling in the first place. And, you know, very dangerous, very hard hitting. Um, it, reminds me, it reminded me a lot of Shibata and Ishii from the G1. Uh, maybe not quite that level of intensity and it was a little bit longer, but like very similar type of match, I think. Very, very similar type of energy to the match. So, you know, they fucking killed each other. I loved every second. It was one of these matches where, after I watched it, I had no five-star fears. It was an easy five-star match for me. So and it's sort of like that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. It was sort of like that uh, Shibata Ishii match that you were talking about. Like It's sort of the perfect match to get someone into Japanese wrestling or Joshi more specifically. Like just It's like kind of that, that quick, like hard-hitting, you know, crazy you know, bumps and everything. It's like the perfect match to show someone that, you know, needs an introduction to Japanese wrestling or wrestling in general, really. So, yeah. yeah. I was going to say it's on Sunday Girls, April 16th, Cork. And if anyone hasn't seen it, listening to this and wants to check it out, but 
Yeah, my match of the year so far. Uh, it wasn't even the main event. It wasn't even the main event, no. Uh, that show was great top to bottom, honestly. It, it really was, yeah. Yeah. So if you, you know, I'm not sure if something else will top it. There'll probably be some stuff for G1 that's really good, and we'll see, basically. All right, so we're going to wrap things up here with rest of the year. I have to go a little quick here since we um, are running a little long, but we already talked about some of these wrestlers, I'm sure, so we'll see. Number three, so rest of the year, as you know, mentioned earlier, this, unlike most outstanding, this is supposed to include, like, you know, their MVP quality of the promotion, you know, business-wise, like, as far as drawing and all that. Um, I think there's different ways you can take it. I always take it to mean, like, you know, how important is this wrestler to the promotion? That's an important part of it to me. But drawing in general and stuff like that is also uh, a big part of it. And obviously, match quality is still a big part of it. So, Gerard, give me your number three wrestler of the year so far. Uh, Kento Miyahara. I uh, Deep down inside, I wanted to go higher, although I've been crunching um, all Japan attendance numbers from the first half of the year. And uh, average attendance is down slightly, although average Korokin attendance, which he's always main eventing, is up slightly. So I, that third is the highest I can rank him given sort of the situation with All Japan's business. Hopefully it improves. I think it has a potential too because uh, the best drawing he has done in Korokin is against young talent like Jake Lee in the Champion Carnival Finals and um, Naoya Nomura back in March. So I think that we can get back into a growth area, uh, like growth for all Japan, if young talent starts to step up. All right. Blossom, give me your number three wrestler of the year. Yeah, I'm uh, going with Johnny Gargano. Um, Johnny Gargano uh, had um, this string of uh, main events this year, and just uh, I thought about him for most outstanding, but I didn't want to put him over Ishii. And uh, so I have him number three here. Uh, and the, the match with Ricochet and just his the series with Cole and even like his TV matches, he had like really good stuff with um, Roderick Strong and Velveteen Dream that I really liked. Uh, and I just feel like this is kind of uh, I know he was like main eventing during the Champa feud, but since this was kind of his run uh, as being a champion in NXT this year, I feel like uh, it'd be apropos to put him uh, for number three for this. All right, Paul, number three, rest of the year so far. My number three wrestler of the year is Kento Miyahara. As Rod said, the business has kind of stalled out there for all Japan, which is why I can't really in good contest put him higher than that. But it's still very clear that he's the most important part of that promotion. And without him, all Japan would be in a significantly worse promotion. And he has the match quality as well, so he's my number three. Skylar, give me your number three for us of the year so far. Uh, my list is pretty similarly outstanding, but my number three is actually uh, Alvaro Cavanario. I think in terms of, like you are saying, some, you know, one of the things I look at the most is about your importance to your promotion. And I think CMLL is really leaning on Cavanario to an extent right now. He's like, you know, they're only, you know, outside of Roosh, like they're, and Roosh is more of a tweener anyway. He's like their only Rudo who's like young and he's very, very young. And they put him in some big spots. And I think he delivers like every single time. His match against Teton is like, one of my favorite lucha matches of the year and maybe like the greatest Teton match ever. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't argue against you if you wanted to say that he's the best in-ring wrestler in the world. And he maybe just doesn't quite get the amount of opportunities that someone in Japan or the U S would get. Um, but 
I think, you know, CML business is staying strong as it always does. And, you know, he's important to the company and he's great. So why not? All right. Thomas, number three, rest of the year. Uh, so number three wrestler of the year for me is kind of an off-the-wall pick. I'm going with Ryota Nakatsu. Um, anybody that, you know, follows me on Twitter or is in the, in the Voices of Wrestling Slack has to put up with me, you know, talking about Basara every once in a while. Um, but it's a great, like, DDT sub-promotion. Um, Nakatsu went on, like, a long title reign. I think it was well over 200 days um, before he finally dropped the title um, against Ryuichi Sakai last month on the Basara 95 show. Uh, and after his reign, you know, attendance for Basar is like, it's still like a low level sort of Japanese indie, um, but they're finally going independent from DDT in the near future. Um, and I think you can give a lot of credit to his title reign. Uh, so yeah, the match quality is there. I think I have six matches of his at four stars or better between singles matches and a lot of the build up tag matches with Sparky. I know you guys were mentioning um, on J stage, he was in a semi main event there. Um, he has a lot of good matches with that team in Basara. Um, so yeah, I had to give a shout out to him as my number three wrestler of the year. And I think even if you're just judging from a most outstanding perspective, he'd be like top top 15 or so. So, yeah. Uh, my number three for rest of the year, I went with Shingo Takagi. I think he really, I'm not sure he'll be there at the end for me, but I thought he really like elevated the junior division. He made the junior tag division, New Japan, feel like, you know, even semi-important for the first time in a while. And it's, you know, I think fallen a lot since since uh, he and Bushi lost to Tazra Pucky 3K, who then lost them now to Montazmo and Taiji. But, you know, I thought he, he did a lot to elevate the division. His undefeated streak really carried the best of Super Junior, you know, as far as that block goes, at least. And, you know, I think if you look at, like, a lot of metrics, he's really um, shown himself to be a big draw in with the Japanese fans, especially for a junior. So on top of all this very, you know, his high-quality matches, I, I put him here for number three rest of the year so far. So, number two rest of the year so far. Gerard, go ahead. Uh, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, I think it's a combination of match quality, which has been great uh, when he's been in the main events. Uh, and clearly, New Japan business continues to, like, just chug along at a at a great pace. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm as high on his... I mean, he's had a really good year match-wise. But I think what, what puts him into the top and what puts him to number two for me is the continued how successful New Japan is. So that's why I saw him in at number two. All right. Uh, Lawson, give me your number two rest of the year so far. This even surprised me, but actually I'm going with Momo Watanabe. Uh, her run with the white belt, I think, although it started last year with a great match with EO, really picked up this year. And uh, her she had uh, matches with a wide range of opponents and they were all very different matches, um, and uh, they were all pretty excellent. They seemed to only get better, maybe, maybe probably peaking with the jungle match, I want to say. Um, but, like, yeah, matches with, like, Jamie Hayter, the Tommy match, uh, and, uh, yeah, and I think one with Tam as well. Uh, yeah, I think uh, and she's she's uh, 19 still, right? Or She's very young, but uh, I'm just super impressed with her kind of Carrying main events uh, this year as, as well as she has, and uh, she's my number two. Uh, Paul, giving your number two for rest of the year so far. My number two is Jordan Devlin. He and it's purely based off of his OTT work. I have never watched a second of WWE UK, and I don't intend to. 
ever do that. And so he just is the ace of the promotion in OTT. He had a tremendous feud with Walter, which then transitioned into the amazing feud with David Starr. He has been drawing well, even though the latest show didn't really draw all that well. But otherwise, he has been drawing and selling on relatively big arenas in Dublin. So he's my number two. Uh, Skylar, give me your number two wrestler of the year so far. Uh, Naito for previously stated reasons. Okay. Skylar's <laughs> <That was> very... <laughs> kind of like, I want to get the fuck out of here. Trying to make it easy for you. Thomas, give me your number two rest of the year so far. Um, I kind of went back and forth on this between Osprey and Shingo because I wanted to throw in a bone um, to one of the two. I ended up going with Shingo because if you look at the junior tag matches he had on, I believe, it was the Dantaku Tour. Um, that match with the junior tag on top drew really strongly. Yeah, it sold uh, out. Yeah, yeah sold out. Um, and then, I mean, obviously they drew a great number in Sumo Hall with the junior match on top. Um, drew a better number than WWE just did. So, yeah, Shingo Takagi, plus the match quality is there. Top 10 wrestler in the world, I'd say. So, yeah. Uh, my number two for rest of the year, I went with Naito. Um, I mean, I think everybody knows, you know, I already talked a lot about him, most outstanding. The only thing I'll say for why I didn't go with him number one is because I don't think he was the, he's necessarily like the clear-cut MVP of his promotion, whereas I think number the number one wrestler uh, I picked is. So, you know, he's he did a lot of really good stuff, especially with the Intercontinental title, the Ibushi feud and everything else. I think he could end up my rest of the year at the end of the year if he goes and has an amazing G1 run and wins the G1. So... You know, we'll see how that goes. But um, right now, I, I have him in number two. So, Gerard, give me your wrestler of the year so far for 2019. Wrestler of the year so far, 2019, uh, Will Ospreay. Um, he's also my most outstanding, so I think I already covered that base. But, I mean, uh, he's clearly – New Japan's clearly, like, positioning him to be the top foreigner one day. I don't think there's any question of that. Uh, maybe even surpassing Jay White. Um and he's a draw. He's a draw in Europe. Uh, he, the WrestleCon Super Show that he headlined with Bandito, where they only announced like half of the card, drew over a hundred thousand gate for an indie show. So that's a, a feather in his cap. Uh, he's a draw in Europe, and apparently, uh, New Japan World subscriptions in Europe are up. And it's speculated that he's the reason. So I think it's fair to say that, like, you know, he is a worldwide star, and he's probably the future of the business. So. So far this year, it's Will Ospreay for me. Uh, Lawson, give me your number two wrestler of the or number one wrestler of the year so far this year. Yeah, Kento Miyahara. Uh, I, whether uh, even if All Japan business is slightly down, where I still feel like this man has All Japan essentially on his back uh, and has has been so for several years. And yeah, I don't know the the excellent matches he had this year. He's still going to be my number one. Paul, I'll give you your number one rest of the year so far for 2019. Yeah, so I realize it's kind of an insane pick, but my number one is John Moxley. Um, he just feels like the biggest star in wrestling at the moment. It's just any time he makes an appearance, any time he has a match, it feels like the biggest deal. And... It, there have been a fairly limited number of appearances and matches from so far, but again, every single time it's the most important thing that happens, and the match quality has been there as well, and I think he's also very important for the promotions that he does appear for, so that's why he has been uh, my wrestler of the year. 
Uh, Paul, give me your number. Oh, Scott, sorry, Skyler, give me your number one wrestler of the year. Uh, so pretty obvious, I mean, based on my previous picks, but Kinto Miyahara. I think he is sort of an obvious pick this year, just because, you know, if you're looking for that more traditional, like, ace uh, quality, then, you know, he's the only guy who would really qualify be- just because there's been so much movement at the top of the card and, like, other promotions. And he's just been steady and having great matches. And, you know, even if he's not lighting the world on fire business-wise, he's still very important to the company and all Japan is really solidifying themselves, you know, in Japan as, like, you know, something above, like, the Noah level right now. Or they're above, like, an indie with like a historical name. They really are becoming like, you know, stepping into that role as like a true, you know, number two type promotion in the country, even if they're not there yet. And I think that this, you know, we'll see how the second half of the year goes. I'm not sure if this is his best year on top Um, from a match quality perspective. I think I would give a slight edge maybe to last year. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to just see him continue to grow and continue to mature and you know, continue to improve throughout the year like he has already. All right. Thomas, give me your number one pick for the rest of the year so far. Yeah. Uh, well, real quick, let me um, – I forgot to mention the uh, Nakatsu versus Sakai match that I went four and three quarters on, free on DDT's YouTube, so go watch some Basara. But anyway, my number one wrestler of the year, um, I think it's – Pretty obvious to me, at least, to the wrestler year so far, and that's going to be Kento Miyahara. Um, I mean, he's been covered, I mean, extensively here. Um, he was right at the top of my most outstanding list. I ended up going with Kota Ibushi, um, but mostly because I knew I was going with Kento number one here. The match quality is completely there. Um, the drawing is completely there. If you look at All Japan versus, if you look at All Japan versus last year, they're flat pretty much. But if you look at All Japan versus before Kento became the ace, they are way up. Uh, and no one is more important to their promotion uh, than Kento Miyahara. So that's why he's the rest of the year right now. And I think it would be pretty hard for anyone to catch him, at least for me. Yeah, I have him number one too. So Kento is my number one rest of the year so far. And the only thing I'll say, I wanted to address a little bit what the other one said about like not being able to put him higher than three because of All Japan business. I look at it a little differently where I see it as like, because All Japan has done such a poor job of making any other top heavyweight single stars. I think the fact that they've even been able to draw the Corrigan numbers they've drawn so far this year with really just Kento as the only major heavyweight single star is really impressive and says a lot about his value. Like, I don't think there's anyone... I don't think there's any one wrestler more valuable to his company than Kento Miyahara. I mean, All Japan without Kento would be, like, Noah or below as far as, like, where they would be in people's, you know and the general conscious of, you know, fans and, like, drawing crowds and stuff like that. So I think Kento is the clear-cut number one. Um, I think maybe, like I said before, Naito could catch him in the second half. But right now I think Kento Miyar is uh, my undisputed wrestler of the year. Well, okay. just, well just today they drew, like, 1,600 to Korkin with a Yoshikatsu yeah. title <laughs> challenge and then the end in the semi-main event. So it's, like, it's very impressive for Kento. Yeah. Okay. So let let us wrap things up here. Uh, we went a little bit long, but I think we're still under three hours, thankfully. So Gerard, give me some plugs. Go ahead. Uh, well, up at uh, Voice of Wrestling uh, right now, I've got a review I co-wrote with Sean Cedor of the ROH Best of the World pay-per-view. I've got a um, review of Fighter Fest that went up. And uh, 
I will get to eventually a review of today's All Japan show. It's just a long weekend in Canada, so I have people to see, but I will probably get to that very soon. Uh, go ahead, Lawson. Give me some thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'm at Lawson Comedy 9 on Twitter. Um, I co-host the Talking Smart podcast with my uh, friend, Benel Dermosin. Uh, and we also co-host a Naruto podcast called Talking Naruto. Uh, we also have a Twitter for that, which is at Team Naruto Podcast. Uh, yeah, check us out if you like Naruto. If you like the grabs, check out the uh, Talking Smart podcast. Paul, give me your plugs. Mm-hmm. So you can find my work at Voices of Wrestling. It's actually been a while since I guess since I've written anything, so I guess I need to get back into that soon as well. Uh, don't follow me on Twitter. Instead, what you should do is you should watch the Mitsuru Kono vs. Antonio Honda drawing death match from Gato Move recently, where if you got a two po- uh, two count, you could draw a picture, and only if the judge recognizes this, you get a point. So you should watch that and not spend any time on social media. Thank you very much. <laughs> Skylar, what's your plugs and stash? Uh, I don't know. I don't really create any content of any sort. Uh, watch the Pine Barrens episode of The Sopranos, <laughs> season three, episode eleven. Really good. Very heartfelt. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, uh, there's a game coming out called Wolfenstein Youngblood. I don't technically talk about what my job is, but I may have been involved in the making of it, and it's really fun and really wacky. If you like like shooting Nazis and stuff like that, uh, it's a good game to play, and you should play it. Uh, why don't you plug your Twitter there, buddy? Oh, at twitter.com, T-W-W-I-Tur.com. Uh, yeah. I'll be in the thing anyway, so I don't know why I bother making you do that. Thomas, give me yep. some plugs. Yep, thanks for having me on, John. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, um, at Wrestling Ratings. Wrestling would not fit. Uh, and I write for Voices of Wrestling. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter, at Omakaze. It's true that Russell. Oh, also, not... sorry, sorry, John. There's also one more thing I need to call out Taylor as well, because he still hasn't posted that episode of Wrestling Almost Cafe on Twitter. <laughs> so he really needs to get on that. So I need to call you out here live on the air, Taylor. Don't be a coward. I don't know if he listens to the show or not, because he when he's not on it, because he didn't even know we st- I stopped doing the cold opens like 40 episodes ago. So who knows if I hear this or not. But yes, so that'll do it, folks, for us this week. Um, like I said, Russell Omikaze on Twitter. Wrestling does not fit. We'll see you next week. Uh, live from Dallas, actually. That'll be next Saturday night. Um, I'm going to be at the G1 Climax opener in Dallas, Texas. So I'm flying in on Saturday. I'm just doing a very quick trip, flying in Saturday, flying out Sunday. But we are going to record after the show. Um, right now, it looks like we already got like six people lined up, a bunch of VOW folks. Um, should have worked still, I guess. But <laughs> uh, I think at least one new guest, Jeremy Sexton, will be on there, and he's never been on here before. Uh, August Baker will be back on, Jack Beckman, Sue Williams. Uh, my buddy Quinlan will probably be on, considering he's coming to the show with me. And we'll see if anybody else uh, still wants to volunteer, but those are who I got lined up so far. So it'll be a big roundtable. We'll talk all about the attending the first-ever G1 Climax opener in America you know, pretty much right after we get out of the building, especially since my hotel is like two minutes away from the arena. So it should be pretty easy. All right. Thank you as always for listening, and we will see you next time.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.